As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, Matt Lanford here with Primary and Secondary. Welcome to Primary and Secondary Modcast. It is episode 168. We're talking mouse guns. Oh yeah, mouse guns. Not rat guns, not cat guns, but mouse guns. Today is October 11th, 2018. This type of a discussion has been a long time coming. It's, uh, it's crept up in some of our other discussions. This is also a discussion we probably wouldn't have been able to really delve into a few years ago because with this kind of a discussion, you need to really apply some, I, don't, I guess, some logic. You need to, dis you need to consider um, the various aspects and facets of carrying little tiny guns, and you need to consider yourself and how all of this applies So, yeah, we, we, could, we can give the blanket advice of, yeah, Glock 19 for your EDC for concealed weapon. But when we get into mouse guns, we need to get a little bit more specific. Okay, when do we use this? How do we use this? When is this applicable? When is this, when is this a good option for us? And that's where this comes in. Um, due to this also, I might have picked up a couple and played around with some. And uh, they're fun. And with time, with proficiency, I don't see an issue with carrying it. All the the rumors of killed in the streets, and yes, I am pronouncing it properly, killed in the streets. Um, it's it's funny how the internet blows things out of proportion. Uh, someone earlier in our chat said something to the effect of that mouse guns are more of more in line with a professional option, and I can agree with that because it is going to require. It does require training. It does require some focus and some knowledge and some ability because, well, your, your, your shot placement counts, but also you need to be aware of uh, the, the capability of the firearm, the, the limitations of it, and exploit that. So let's see here. Big thank you to our sponsors, Filster, Filster Holsters. John is a great guy. I had an awesome conversation. As a matter of fact, for the last couple of days, I've had some awesome conversations with him. Um, He makes some great holsters. He has some great methods of carrying uh, medical equipment, support equipment. Um, there's some really cool things coming out just around the corner for SHOT Show. Uh, I'm excited to see the progression of, of how, how his, his catalog is just growing. Wonderful guy, great designs, incredibly smart. 
Uh, I love having them on the podcast because the discussions we can have are like with, I, when I have uh, discussions with Carl with InRange, um, it's cool stuff. And on the podcast, we, we really get a go in the, get in the weeds with design ideas. And when we uh, discuss new designs, it's, it's just cool. Also a big thank you to Facts on Firearms. If you go to factsonfirearms.com, you can find all kinds of AR-15 parts, barrels, uh, different profiles, different gas systems. Along with that, there are pistol barrels. I'm seeing Faxon pop up on social media more and more, and I'm seeing good results from these posts. People are shooting their barrels. Uh, people are using uh, – InRange TV did their uh, What Would Stoner Do project using a Faxon pencil profile barrel. These are doing good work. It's a, it's a good option. Additionally, we have a new uh, new sponsor for the, for the uh, podcast, Walther Firearms. That one for me is really exciting, and I've always wanted a PPK, so – there you have it. Um, really cool talking to these guys. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, a lot of discussion about uh, design, their features. We we had a phone conference earlier uh, this week talking about the various pistols, what they're looking at, look what they're looking to get from primary and secondary, um, what we can provide for them, and it's just really cool. I'm really excited to 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 work with them because there's some really cool things around the corner. Um, I'm, I'm just excited to, to work with them and be able to help out. And we have, uh, uh, can't, I shouldn't get much further with that. If you go to, uh, Walther Arms though, waltherarms.com, you can find all kinds of pistols, everything from 22s to, to, to nines and everything in between. Uh, some, uh, it's interesting also learning about their, the, the differences. I had a cool conversation with, uh, Dugan Ashley about the CCP. Um, turns out Carl, uh, carries one of those interesting gun. Very interesting. I'm very anxious to, to talk more about that with, uh, with the guys over there. Hey, what do you know? Someone just brought up a CCP in chat. Um, lastly, big thank you to our Patreon subscribers. If you go to patreon.com slash primary and secondary, you can help support the network. Essentially what that does is that helps pay for the time. It pays for this, all the subscriptions, all the editing. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going going on in the, uh, behind the scenes. We have the website, the forum, all that other stuff going on in concert. And it's all a big system. It's a network. It's the primary and secondary network. Because we are on Spreaker, iTunes, Vimeo, iHeartRadio, Spotify. It's cool. I like it. So, uh, backgrounds. Law enforcement background here. I uh, went through the academy oh, almost 21 years ago. Uh, been pretty much doing law enforcement stuff since. Um, it's a good time. It's a calling. And I get to play with guns. Mr. Pepperoni, I think it's time for your intro. Intro. Yeah, I, um, I got uh, dinged from somebody. They said, "You know, you never, never really talk about yourself," and I hate talking about myself. So I will try and do a little more justice. Um, I'm just a dude that used to live in Chicago, but now lives in Florida. Um, I got into guns super late. I'm a USPSA production GM. I've uh, been like a top 20 dude in USPSA. I hung it up this year. Um, I just got kind of sick of chasing the dragon. Um, Chicago is a really interesting scene uh, for, for gun owners. It's kind of the forefront of some of the legal battles and, and considerations, of course, with the McDonald uh, Supreme Court ruling and everything. Um, but there's also just a massive competitive scene Um a lot of it centers around two places, Pine Tree Pistol Club, which is out in Rockford, and then also uh, 
uh, Alpha Range, which is up here in McHenry, which is not too far from where, where I used to live, which is Crystal Lake. Um, I, I shoot a lot, or I used to shoot a ton, just you know, focusing primarily on competitive stuff, USPSA, IDPA, PPC, actually. And um, it was Mickey Shook, the carry trainer, who kind of challenged me to actually um, try it and, and shoot from concealment. So I've been doing a lot of the appendix stuff. Some people may have seen me at a few recent matches in Florida or in South Carolina. I was up there to pick up my Shooting Sports USA game. Awesome. If you've never played it, find it in an arcade. Um, but now I do a lot of uh, limited minor shooting a Beretta. I just, I'm a Beretta junkie. Um, and, uh, and I'm a dad, too. So I'm a, I'm a guy who, in Florida, and flip-flops and in you know, board shorts, you can't always carry a full-size Beretta 92. I mean, let's just be honest. So what fits the bill, you know, an LCR, um, some little mouse guns, those really fill the niche. Um, if you're going to see a show or an opera or whatever, you know, that might might be what you do. So I do carry them. I really like them. Uh, I've got a surprising amount of them just because I've always really liked them. And, um, and I actually practice a lot with them, too, and it's probably because of stuff that Paul Sharp has said, which I think is a lot of what Claude Warner said. So I'm going to get it here firsthand tonight from, from Claude. And uh, um, so that's me. Cool. Cool. Dave. Had to find the mute button. Uh, Like Matt, I also have law enforcement experience. Uh, The funny part is since I Join law enforcement. I've actually played with mouse guns less because of departmental requirements of what I'm, you know, supposed to carry. Does that mean I never carry a mouse gun? No, but it means that my mouse guns have maybe gotten a little bit caliber wise have gotten a little bit larger because if I do end up capping somebody off duty, I don't want to have my department go. Uh, I'm also the Co-owner of DNA Guns, not super relevant for this modcast because our machine guns are very big and the guns we're talking about are generally very small. So, and I have a whole pile of them here on the table. Hopefully, the machine guns? Who, uh, there's a machine gun behind me. Okay, that counts. One of, one of those is a machine gun. Um, but no, no, I, I should have brought, uh, I was at my shop today, I should have brought macaroni home with me. Is that related to pepperoni? Uh no, no. Just a just a just a super ghetto, really ugly Mac ten that we built. We haven't built uh we- As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We haven't built cheese yet. Just macaroni at this point. Gotcha. We'll build you a mac- macaroni. There, there you go. Yeah. Well, I actually, I actually don't have a macaroni. I've owned several and ended up selling them. I don't have one currently. And it's interesting you brought up policy because that's actually been a recent discussion between the uh, uh, one of the sergeant or the sergeant and I. Uh, talking about that, talking about backup weapons and limiting officers' choices, and yeah, it's been an interesting discussion. I think I'm going to share this podcast once it's done. Also, that I think he's on board with this idea, but yeah, it's nice to have relevant resources. And I mean, we can certainly dive into that. I'm, you probably want to get the introductions done first. Yeah, kind of important, kind of sort of, yeah, and. Lastly, oh, we do have one more guest, but he doesn't count. Lastly, our guest of honor, we have Claude here. So is this where I'm supposed to talk about myself? I guess. We can try. I don't think it's going to be as accurate as what you'd say, though. (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, retired Army officer. Uh, I spent 10 years in Special Forces. Um, And then after I retired... I went into the real estate business and then from there went into the accounting business in the real estate section. So that was a very, very different environment that gave me a, a lot of different ideas about, you know, what I had to do and what was allowed and, you know, what could I get away with? Um, because I, I, I think, Anytime we have the discussion about small guns, and, and you had asked me earlier, Matt, what you know, what do I call them? And that's pretty much how I leave it as small guns. Um, I think that one of the things we have to keep in mind is that concept of what can we get away with, which is a lot different than, you know, that just varies by person from person to person, uh, what they can get away with both from the standpoint of, well, maybe you're in an NPE. Uh, and, and I think about the, N, the non-permissive environment, for people who are not familiar with that acronym, um, that I think of the NPE as not just being in a denied area, but thinking about being in a denied area and having to accept the idea that you're under surveillance every minute that you're there, which is a very, very different idea than... Um, you know, I, I had somebody say, well, you know, I've gone to diplomatic receptions and carried my 1911 for two or three hours while I was there. And I, dude, uh, did you have KGB guys bump frisking you every five minutes? Well, no. 
okay, well then you weren't really in an NPE. You might've been in a denied area, but that's not really an NPE. So that was really where I started developing a lot of my ideas. Although a lot of it also came from um, when my, you know, I grew up in Chicago and uh, spent a lot of time in Chicago, but in Chicago, I grew up at the end of the Ravenswood L uh, and until like the last year that I was there, I never lived outside of the city. It was like that that was like a denied area to me. Oh, going outside the city? No, not, not doing that. So and at that time you were very much subject to surveillance by the police. The Chicago police, regardless of what anybody might tell you, oftentimes you hear this thing about, well, the police are actually very pro gun in general and so forth. Well the Chicago police are not. Uh they're not, they never have been for the most part, they're just not enthused about people, A, having guns and certainly not carrying them. Uh, and, you know, I've been on the, the elevated where they stopped a guy because his belt was sticking out a little bit. And they thought that he was, you know, packing something appendix. And and they stopped him and bumped and, and you know, frisked him to make sure that he wasn't carrying a gun. Well, that was the environment that I grew up in. So that influences the way I look at what the NPE is. So that's my story. That and I'm sticking to it. No, that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's kind of interesting that we bring that up. You know, this was a discussion from a while ago. And, you know, I'm not bringing this up, you know, pro or con. I know a lot of people may like Lucas Bakken or not or appreciate his products or not. And it's not a discussion. But there was a discussion that he brought up about, you know, how concealed does concealed really need to be? And that really precipitated a lot, you know, in our, our, our previous podcast, too. And uh, we got a lot of input from uh, from John from Filster, which is really interesting, too, and, and from Varg, um, you know, about, you know, there's people who have really different criteria for that. So that, that, that's interesting. You know, being a, a former Chicago and myself, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting here, Claude, bring that up. Yeah, I want to give a little shout out to uh, a guy named Michael Green. Took a class with him last weekend, and uh, he's got a very interesting concept that he goes over in his concealed carry classes. And I don't want to give it all away, but uh, uh, and I mean, even in his class, he's like, he's like, the info's out there. Just, just share it. Just share it. But he'll explain it much better than than myself because his presentation about it is much better. However. Uh, he looks at different levels of concealment as a result of different levels of um, of possible punishment or, or or possible issue that could be caused if you get caught carrying a gun. And you know, we go from we go from places where you see people who are like, "Well, you know, I'm wearing a schmedium, you know, over my like Glock 34, and it doesn't matter if it prints." To like you were saying. You know, the, you might, you might be getting surveilled and, you know, you might have a, you might have a uniformed or non-uniformed police officer or government agent walk up to you and go, yo, against the wall. And they pat frisk you. Uh, it's a matter of where you are, what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting also that you guys, you brought up Mike who that's his class. He has a concealed class. Um, mm-hmm. And then Varg and and John with Filster, 
all very, very switched on people when it comes to this kind of stuff and the ability to conceal, despite what there is an article talking about um, the, the common public doesn't pay attention. They don't care. You can print. I'm not caring because of the public. I'm caring because of the people that are looking for printing. So if that's the case, I need to either conceal better. Well, I need, I absolutely need to conceal better, but maybe a smaller firearm might be a better solution. Hey, mouse guns. Hey, we're talking about them. Perfect. What a coincidence. What a coincidence. So do you guys consider little guns or I was told also old man guns? Do you classify them by their overall size or their caliber? So if there's a full-size 32, is that a mouse gun? Or is it a small gun that happens to be a 9, a mouse gun? Or the combination? I'd say it's a combination. Cause, and, and it also would depend on your, on your stature. Because like me, I'm an average-sized dude. 5'11", 165 pounds. And something that will reasonably fit in one of my pockets would is is smaller than something that would fit in your pocket speaking to Matt cuz Matt's like like this but taller than I am uh or like you know someone size of Steve Fisher who's another well-known public guy if if you're freaking huge you can stuff a Glock 19 in your pocket and no one will notice it but if you're if you're average sized or if you're short you know then then you run into something uh like to give an example start getting guns out so, car. car, CW9, car, CW380. Now, this one, if if uh, if I have the right pocket holster, I can pocket carry that. But this one right here disappears. And that's in pants that are pretty tight-fitting. And, and like I said, I'm not a huge guy. So, for me, that makes a big difference. Yeah, I think an example. I think one of the things that I'd, I'd bring up, maybe to, to challenge some of that, too, is... Uh, you know, we're talking about the size of the gun versus the size of the caliber and, and all this stuff too. I think, I think there's something missing in the equation that's weight. Um, you know, nine, yeah, you can carry it in the winter if you're wearing some jacket in Chicago or something like that. But, you know, um, it's pocketable, um, but it's not something that you can throw into board shorts. It's just too heavy. It sags, you know, that, that sort of thing. So I think there, there's something missing in the equation. Um, when we talk about milestones as well is that, you know, some of them, you know, you, you might actually carry by weight. Like the CW380 is, is it's also very much narrower than that, you know, than a you know, CW9 or PM9, you know. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Car, but it is much lighter. And uh, the six rounds of 380 that it holds is much lighter than the seven rounds of 9mm that are going to get stuffed into um, um, into a PM9. So just, you know, I think that that's something that bears discussion as well. Um, you know, so you've got the size, you've got the caliber, of course, and then uh, weight is part of the equation too. 14 ounces empty. Hmm. That, that's my quantification of it. If it's more than 14 ounces empty, it's not a pocket gun. You know, as Les said, you can pocket it, but I don't think of it as a pocket gun. So that's because for uh, and amplifying on something that Les said, that if it weighs le- 14 ounces or less, it also can't carry a whole lot of ammo, which then makes it that much heavier as as well. So, uh, you know, that that's probably my single biggest criterion because the weight will then dictate the size of the gun. You know, and a 14-ounce gun is just, uh, almost all of them are just going to be smaller than anything that weighs literally two ounces more than that. They just get bigger at that point. I don't know why that's an engineering thing or whatever, but, you know, that's the way I think about it. And I actually have a postal scale that I just put them on. Because I don't believe what the manufacturers tell me. Oh, it, it weighs this or that. Well, let me put it on my postal scale, and I'll then I'll know for sure. Is it fourteen ounces or less? Yeah, like a PM nine on a scale is is roughly like it just shy of sixteen ounces, and it, it, it's you know it, it, it's 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 saggy. <laughs> put it in yeah, yeah know, that's, that's it exactly. It just it, it's going to make your pants sag. Uh, you know, and at some point you got to say, well. This is dragging my pants down so much, I might as well just have a belt gun. So what's the point? Yeah. We had a discussion, I don't know how long ago, where people were even bringing up the weight of the ammunition itself and how that contributes to overall weight. And I thought, who would have thought of that? It makes a lot of sense. It's really cool. Every little ounce counts. Yeah. Which is why people pay big bucks for scandium frame, you know, J-frames, right? Like the with the titanium cylinders, right? The... Was it 340 MMP? It's the steel cylinder, and then the, you know, God, you know, 364. Cod would know the, you know, the one with the titanium cylinder, special performance center plus whatever. I don't know. It's one of the reasons that my 317 two inch is still one of my favorite guns because it's got an aluminum cylinder, and the thing weighs like 11 ounces empty. And you put eight rounds of twenty twos in it, and it still doesn't weigh anything. You know, it's not going to make my pants sag. So, you know, that weight issue is is definitely there. So, what have, what are the biggest myths you guys have run into as far as small pistols are concerned, other than killed in the streets? See now, pepperoni has nothing. Uh, I've heard- 
that that they're just belly guns that they're only designed to be shot at like two, three, four feet without aiming because they're because you're not able to uh, aim them and shoot them accurately. Yeah, it's only an arm's length gun if you're incompetent. That's one of my favorite things. That as soon as somebody brings that out, it's like, no, that's not true at all. You know that it's I can do really good work with a with a J frame out to 25 yards at least. Uh, and, you know, but, but people have to learn with the small guns that they have to learn to manipulate the trigger. One of, one of my biggest myths that I see is they're not reliable. But the biggest problem is people don't know how to use them because if you take a blowback gun and shoot it, try to shoot it with a thumbs forward grip, yeah, it's not going to be reliable because the thumbs forward grip brings the knuckle of the firing hand up to where the slide rubs up against it. And especially when you're using a small caliber gun, you know, 22s in my, I'll, and I'll even say notoriously, if a 22 slide is rubbing on your thumb knuckle, it's not going to run that well. So people have to learn that, okay, if you're going to shoot one of these little guns, especially a 22, but they're not the only one, some of the, uh, the 32s that are blowbacks, well, you're going to have to, yeah, there you go. You're going to have to get that thumb of the firing hand down so that the, th- because you, you can see it, just play with it. As soon as you bring the thumb up, the knuckle comes up with it. So you got to get the thumb down to get the knuckle down, and then you don't have that interference that causes the gun to not run well. So that that's my single biggest thing. We're, and then following on on that of, recent years is ever since the 22 ammo shortage went away, I have just noticed, I I almost call it a quantum leap in the priming reliability of even bulk 22 ammo. I mean, like Remington Golden Bullet bulk. For a long time, we talked about that, like this is the worst ammo that you could possibly buy. And that was true 10 years ago. The, the latest stuff that I've been buying in, in massive amounts, it, it runs just as well as mini mags or uh, I, I won't quite say Ely, but it, it's close. It, it's very reliable ammo, and that's a big change just, uh, you know, in the past year or however long it's been that we started being able to buy 22s at Walmart again in more than three box quantities. You know, I'm just going to add something to it. Um, you know, I think, I, okay, I'm just going to bring it up. This is one of Claude's standards was the wizard drill, right? Um, you know, with the J-frame, it's a five-shot drill. Um, I will I will let Claude talk about the, the exercise because you probably remember it better than I do. But, um, um, you know, I think that's actually a fantastic test for, you know, dealing with a pocket pistol as far as time standards and everything goes. I think one of the, the big problems is, is some of the pocket pistols, you know, the sights are horribly diminutive. Um, you know, you're talking about gutter sights or something, or like a CZ Duo doesn't have sights. It's just a gutter sight. Um, and I think that that's something that, you, you know, you, you need to consider that if you're going to consider carrying one of these things. Um, they're, you know, some have better or more adequate sights or, or less adequate sights. Um, 
you know, Claude brought up the point about blowback guns. And this is something that you see a lot in thinner guns versus like rounder guns. Um, so I think one of the neat things about like a Breda Bobcat or Tomcat or even like the diminutive Minx, right, is the fact that they're, um, there you go, right? It, it's, it's a fairly round gun. It's not exactly narrow. It actually fills your hand pretty good. So you, even though slide is kind of beefy, especially on that Tomcat, um, your, your thumb doesn't really impede it. I actually find it a lot harder to shoot like a car CW380. Um, I had one for a little bit. I just, I couldn't I just, I've got really big hands. My hands are big, <laughs> but, uh, whoa. <laughs> um, Put them closer okay. to the camera and then they'll be even bigger. Wow. Those are huge. <laughs> you know, but, uh, um, but you know, that it's one of the things is like getting a grip on some of these guns is, is a real compromise. And this is where you really have to, this is where you really have to go out and practice and find something that's going to work. And, uh, and man, it's kind of no mystery. These guns probably require a little bit more practice. They're, they're easy to carry and, and great. You can throw it in a pocket or in a purse or in a jacket pocket or, or, you know, you know, a pocket holster or something, but you know, getting the gun out and there, I'm sure we're going to get into that, you know, tonight, but, um, getting the gun out and actually getting a good grip on it and learning how to shoot and having some sort of standards is uh, some work better or worse for that. You know, so you got to experiment a little bit with that, but um, it's not exactly a myth to dispel, but, um, but, uh, but, you know, it's, it's something to consider, I would say, since you brought it up. So. I noticed uh, this past weekend when I was shooting a bunch of little tiny guns that I opted to just shoot one handed and, and put my, other hand just up here as if I was uh, doing like a injured officer type drill holding onto my vest and shooting one handed. You know, it's surprisingly easy to, you know, especially if you're shooting like a 22, right? I mean, it's a 22, right? And, um, you know, I had a video up on Instagram. I think somebody brought it up in like the PS, like Facebook group. And, uh, um, you know, I basically just, kind of ran, ran the magazine empty seven rounds or whatever into the head box. And it's just, you know, it's all in like a little foreign circle. And that's just, that's just like screwing around. Right. Um, so it's, it's, Hey, it'll do its part at seven yards. If you can, you know, and that's just one hand. Bah, 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 you know, so as fast as you can pull the trigger. So yeah, it's something to consider. And that it's something that a lot of people don't practice. Right. You know, Hey, you know, shooting one hand is difficult. Shooting a full-size gun one hand is is also difficult, and oh, I don't want to do that. I want to I want to run some bill drills. I do my sexy appendix, you know, draw and second, and, and you know, get it going. You know, so, um, yeah. I think that one of the things that we ought to think about in terms of this is actually what do we need need to be able to do with it. Um, and one of the things about any small caliber gun is that as soon as we start getting bullets above the diaphragm, now we're starting to get a lot more terminal effect out of the, out of the piece than we would ordinarily. I mean, I, uh, my stepmother, um, was a nurse in, in emergency rooms for years and she was telling me one time that, that she came in and she hadn't looked at this guy's charts and he had a bunch of little, I don't know, pimples or small wounds on his side. 
and and at first she thought he had a rash, <laughs> and it turns out he'd been shot several times with a twenty-five, and the wounds were none of the bullets had actually gone through, uh, and so she mentioned this to me and my dad, and uh, so my dad and I were out, out, you know, conversely because my dad was a real NPE guy, and so we were he had a twenty-five, and we were shooting a twenty-five at a stump out in the desert in Phoenix. And we went out to look at the target, and the bullets were in a pile at the base of the stump because they <laughs> they hadn't been able to penetrate into the wood even enough to stick in. And that's when I said I'd rather have a twenty-two than that because twenty-twos will at least penetrate. Well, if we get something that penetrates above the diaphragm, if you talk to any emergency room physician, They'll tell you that wounds above the diaphragm are, are just a lot more serious than wounds below the diaphragm. In fact, I had an interesting conversation just earlier this week with a friend of mine who was a professional interrogator. And he said, I've never interrogated anybody who had an upper thoracic wound. They've all been peripheral wounds. And he goes, that's my experience of why bullet placement is so important, because the ones that were hit above the diaphragm, died. Well, uh, you know, it's not like we're necessarily out to kill somebody, but obviously if they die, we're having more terminal effect. So what's the standard that we use? And and that's why I designed the target that I did, because I'm amazed at how many people that I've found don't want to buy targets. They just, they refuse to buy targets. And I see this at my gun club all the time, that they make carbon targets out of cardboard boxes or this or that so in my concealed carry skills and drills ebook i put a target in there that i made that's three pieces of paper and you take one piece of paper and you put it in landscape mode and that very does a very good simulation of the thoracic cavity above the diaphragm and then put an eight inch circle in the middle of that Put a four-inch circle in the middle of that as your aiming point. And if we can get people to at least practice, like Les was saying, so that at a bare minimum, look, at four yards, that's the way I think about it in, in proxemics, four yards, 12 feet, is a dividing line between public space and social space. And in my analysis of the armed citizen, I found as best I can interpolate it, that unless there's actually two firearms involved, the shooting occurs between 7 feet and 12 feet, which is what um, the originator of proxemics, Dr. Hall, called the far phase of social space. Because let's face it, shooting someone is a social act. Strange as that sounds, it's true. So at the far limit of that, 12 feet, 4 yards, Let's at least be able to hit a piece of paper in the landscape mode and get people to understand that's the area that you're aiming at above the diaphragm. So you're getting a decent upper body hit. Well, you're going to get some guy's attention with that in a way that if it's below, converse to that, I remember reading not too long ago a story of a New York police detective who'd been in like, I don't know, 14 shootings or something like that. It was a pretty big number. And he was talking about one in particular. And he said, yeah, I shot the guy five times in the gut, and he didn't react to it at all. Well, dude, 
it's because you shot him in the gut. And, and that's the problem with the whole concept of center of mass, which is probably the single worst training concept that has ever entered the law enforcement community. And as you know, Matt, I'm not an anti-competitive guy at all. I was a competitive shooter for the better part of 20 years. But center of mass came out of PPC. Because if you look at the old targets like Fitzgerald and Langrish and those guys back in the 20s had the, the what we now call the B-21, that was the original Colt, Colt police silhouette target. Well, its hit area was high center of mass, was high in the chest, not in the center. But then when we started shooting PPC at 50 yards, well, that was a little bit harder to target, so we moved the the aim point into the center of the target and that has carried us in a way that's probably an unhealthy concept in my opinion into modern thinking and i still hear that a lot center of mass center of mass well if you were shooting at, at 50 yards yeah you do have to shoot at center of mass at four yards you don't have to you know you pick a, a spot and and i tell people and i've been called a psychopath for this but i tell people when i meet somebody the first thing i do is I pick out the spot on their body, I'm going to shoot them. I've got an aim point already set up for them. It goes on with how many times have we seen that meme of be polite, be professional, but have a plan to kill everybody in the room that you meet. Yeah, this is application. Well, yeah, and, and, and so then I'll ask people, if they, ask me, if they say that to me in person, I'll go, okay, well, what's your plan? And all of a sudden the conversation goes to zero. Because they don't really have a plan. It's just something that they're parroting. Well, I'll tell you one part of my plan is I know where I'm going to shoot you. You know, I've, I've picked out that aim spot, and it's, going to, and it's a small aim spot. And it may not even necessarily be the heart or anything, but it's something that I can identify above the diaphragm that bullets are going to go into if I needed to do that. Um, so if we combine those concepts with the idea that, look, the shooting is probably going to take place, especially, like I say, if there's no second firearm involved. And and most people will not be involved in gunfights. I love the way Ken Hackthorn put this, because a gunfight is a two-way deal. Well, if the other person doesn't have a gun, and in a lot of cases there are justifications for shooting somebody who doesn't have a gun, but if somebody doesn't have a gun, it's a shooting. Well, a shooting is probably going to take place at 12 feet or less. So let's think about that as the first hurdle in this. And our little mouse guns are perfectly capable of accomplishing that task of putting bullets there. So I, I don't think about it so much as our ability to put bullets at into small groups at distance as our ability to hit an adequate target at the range that we're likely to make contact with someone. So, you know, and, and I think that that gets lost sometimes in the way we think about using these smaller type of pistols. We're 43-ish minutes in, and I can already tell you, I think this is going to be a lot of people's favorite episode. So along, along those lines to kind of add a little bit, I, I've done a lot of research into ballistics with subcalibers, and that being anything below 38 special or 9 millimeter. And 
one of the compromises that you have to get into with subcalibers that I've found is you end up needing to look more into how it, how the round will adequately penetrate deep enough as opposed to what will expand enough. As an example, my 380 uh, carry round of choice is the, I don't think this is going to focus that close, the Hornady XTP, because it's known for penetrating deeper, but not expanding as much. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Much. And in 380, that's a big deal. So as an example. And, uh, and, and also some of these guns, uh, like I know, I know with, uh, with PPKs, they're known for not functioning reliably with flat nosed or hollow points. And again, this goes back to how many, how many times have we or another panel discussed, you have to test out your equipment? Like, man, gold dots are badass. You'll put a mag in the PPK, pow, and the slide's locked halfway back. Oh, oh shit, I've been carrying this for six months. It jammed after the first shot. I hope that first shot did what I needed to do. You know, there, there's an Arabic saying for that. Very, very problem. Very, very problem. And and I agree with you 100% about the, the penetration issue, which is why, I, I especially with, I, I carry 32 now and again, I don't have any problem with carrying ball ammunition with it because it's reliable and it's probably going to get me the most penetration. And ultimately, I, I'm unconvinced that, especially in the smaller calibers, that the idea that it's going to expand makes that big of a difference. It, it, it's just not that big of a deal. It's like I, I commented elsewhere. What's the difference be, in the amount of surface area of a 9mm versus a 45 in relation to the size of the average male human torso? The, the 45 is 20. I got to put my straight face on to say this. The 45 has a frontal area that is 22 hundredths of 1% bigger than the 9mm in relation to the male torso. Wow. That's impressive, 22 hundredths of 1%. On the other hand, if it gets through the guy's ribs, okay, now we're starting to talk of having some kind of terminal effect on it. So, yeah, I agree with you 100% about that. I think this is the the big thing that comes up, though, with um, 25 versus 22, right? The 25 is, you know, just anemic as far as its velocity, and if you – something like a 22 stinger out of like a little mouse gun, you know, it's probably moving a little bit faster, probably a little lighter weight. It's probably going to penetrate a little bit better. 
And, um, you know, so there's, there's something to that. Um, there's something to that discussion. It's, you know, reliability comes up. Oh, I'd rather have a center fire cartridge rather than a uh, 22 and you know, good quality 22 ammunition. This has already been discussed at some point tonight, but uh, especially good quality 22 ammunition. It, it, you don't find duds in there. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, find about probably the same dud rate as you will. If you were looking at like center fire ammunition, it's, it's pretty interesting, but um, yeah, it's uh something to consider. I think that, the, you know, penetration rather than expansion is kind of the name of the game, at least when considering this stuff, at least from what everybody else says. And I think that that's probably a really good place to start if you're going to consider a mouse gun. Or I think some of the people who are going to be listening to this are on the fence of, well, why the hell would you carry that? You know, why, why would I carry a 22? Like, what's wrong with you, right? So um, for some of the people who are contemplating that they I think that's something that they should take away as a hard truth that hey you want to go for something that's moving faster that's that's going to penetrate a little bit better rather than something that's moving slower or a hollow point design or anything else so yeah so if we look right here does anyone everyone know what that is North American oh, arms oh, 22 mag yeah it's it's a pug it's a 22 mag it's got a uh, it's got a notch rear sight and a uh, and a tritium front insert. You won't be able to see on the video, but I actually took this out with a hammer and a punch, and uh, and sighted it in. Oh, hammer punch in a file, I should say, and sighted it in with um, with uh, Hornady twenty two mag ammo, and I I chose that based upon you know researching various twenty two mags available. And with 22 mag specifically, well, 22 mag and 22 long rifle, something you have to consider is many of the tests that are done are out of rifles. So you have to you have to look at what is it going to do out of a you know this is like a 1.65 inch barrel. What's it going to do out of that? And I um, I chose the Hornady stuff based upon the test. I don't expect it to expand again. It's again it, it's down to will it adequately penetrate? But the thing is. I can get solid hits with this. If I have if I have three, four seconds, I can take a headshot at 10 yards with this gun. And I can hold the gun like this. And and like I already said, I'm not I'm not a huge guy. I have very average size hands. And there are times when a gun this small could certainly come in handy. Yes, I don't <laughs> I can make them ooh. Wow, well, those are huge. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, when when you're down to is it better to have to have, you know, maybe a, a, a fix or folding knife to where you have the ability to stab the hell out of somebody, or do you want to have a loud knife that will penetrate into their vitals, uh, or maybe both, and you don't have the ability to have a larger gun, something like this. You know, it's a single-action gun. You have to cock it for every shot, like that. And uh, it's just, you know, one of those, another tool in the toolbox. That right there was the purpose of my Instagram post. That turned also was on the Facebook page. Uh, backup weapons. Okay, so knives or a little tiny pistol. Which one can which one can actually provide sufficient trauma to incapacitate faster? And which one are you just going to most likely have the the other person bleed out, and it's going to take a lot more effort? Well, in true internet fashion, get both. Yeah. <laughs> I, although I have to say, I am utterly uninterested 
in having some guy's loathsome bloodborne pathogens all over me because bigger when you're you know anybody who stabbed someone you're going to get caught that's just the way it is so you know then you've got this blood intermixing going on no i'm not interested in that that's just that is not on my agenda so if i can make you know penetrating wounds at some distance at a distance yeah yeah at a distance yeah maybe and and i i had a, a a protocol I developed with a girlfriend who lived in a kind of a crummy area here in Atlanta. Uh, we were in the car one day and, and I don't even know why I said this, but I, I told her, I said, look, if we get carjacked, as long as we can both get out of the car, they can have it. I don't care. I got insurance. It's just not that important to me. But if you get hung up in the belts or I get hung up in the belts or anything of that nature, I want you to turn your head away from me and close your eyes because I'm going to start shooting and I don't want this guy's loathsome bloodborne pathogens getting in your eyes or anywhere else. You know, it might get on your body, but I don't want it to get into a point of entry. And I, I always think about that because especially now you can't assume that that's just a, for lack of a better term, a benign event of having somebody's blood get on you. I just don't want it. You know, it's it's not like, you know, a few a decade ago or two decades ago or three decades ago, we could assume, yeah, we'll just wash it off and it'll be okay. Well, now you can't. And especially if you have blood transfer going on, then it becomes a bigger problem. So, you know, that that's another reason why I'm just not interested. In, I, I don't even carry a knife. I have a pen knife, but I carry an impact tool instead. Now I have a sap. Fortunately, in the state of Georgia, it's uh, they've changed the law. It's not even a weapon here. Um, that only a pistol or a knife that has a blade in excess of 12 inches is a weapon. So I just never leave home without my sap and the knife. I've got a pen knife in my pocket and that's it. I think there's, there's a subtlety here. And um, so little, little name dropping here. The the guy that really got me interested in, uh, in pocket pistols. I mean, uh, you know, from a practical standpoint, it was really Paul Sharp. And, um, uh, I mean, he's, he's carried a little Bobcat 22, I think for, for work at various times. And, uh, you know, I won't talk to his experience, but, um, the, the method of employment, which I think he piggybacked a lot from, you know, what Claude had kind of imparted wisdom to him. So maybe I am Claude's like grandson here to a certain weird twisted way anyway, but, um, um, you know, the interesting thing is, is there's this context of, you know, when do you draw it? Um, when do you, when do you get a chance to actually get this thing out of the pocket and go? And, um, you know, it is exceedingly difficult to do if you're, you know, in the clinch and in the, in the tangle and all that stuff. Um, it's, you know, something like a, uh, like a center line, like a clinch pick, right? This ubiquitous block of knives and these days and all this stuff. It, it's, it's really, um, it fills a certain spectrum there, at least to create the distance where you might actually be able to employ a firearm or get away or, or do something. Right. And that's actually one of the difficulties in, in carrying a pocket pistol is, um, if you're caught completely unawares, man, like it, it is tough to navigate that, right. Without any experience in, in, getting hand-to-hand or anything like that. 
something like a full size gun is much easier to access. It is way easier to get an independent carry gun or anything like that. Um, I think where it shines is you can surreptitiously, you know, get a grip under the gun and, you know, you kind of are perceiving trouble and you can't get away or, or something's kind of going down. At least you can carry it in a way or, or get a grip on it or you can actually employ it. And I think that that's where, that's where there's a pocket, but there's, there's a certain context. You have to realize that something is going to happen or potentially could happen. Your spidey senses start to tingle and, and, uh, and therefore you can do that. Um, just, just like getting the buzzer cold and Hey, go, you know, the dude just cold cocked you. I'm not going to go for a little pocket gun and try and figure out how the hell I'm going to get that up and, and into play. Um, that there, there's the context there, unfortunately. Um, so creating that space and that distance, I think there, you know, it's, it's a layered approach, right? Um, I, don't, I don't think anybody doesn't recognize that, or at least the people who are listening to something like PNS, right? They, they, they recognize there's got to be some sort of like hierarchy of how you're going to get to certain things. And um, so and that requires training. Um, so. And along those lines, the more concealed whatever weapon you're carrying is, if it's a knife, a gun, a, a sap, whatever, the more concealed your weapon is, the longer it's going to take you to deploy it and and actually have it out and in action and making an effect. Yeah, I think there, there's something that you know Paul Sharp posted a while ago. You know, as he walks across the parking lot, he he has his keys in his left hand and he's got his pepper spray kind of primed and ready to go, and um, you know, people don't look at you sideways for carrying pepper spray, you know, or like a little, you know, they don't know what it is. You're carrying your keys, you know, Oh, I'm walking around with my mouse gun, you know, prime and ready to go in here. That's no, <laughs> you cannot do that. That is, that is a, a hard no. Right. So, um, in walking around with your, you know, fist balled up in your pocket, like you, you, know, you got something to hide or whatever. It's like, yeah, dude, come on, you know? So, um, that it's, you know, there, there's some context there, you know, and that, that, that's where that layered approach is something really, really useful. If the sap is something that's attached to your keys and you just got it, or the pepper spray is something that's attached to your keys and you got it. Oh, that, that makes sense. Wow. You know, you can, you can at least do something or create the distance to employ something else. Um, you know, again, you got to realize that something's going to go down and, and, that, that's a different set of skills to, to do that, but um, but I, I'm not anywhere near qualified to talk about that. You know. well, well, many of us have discussed how when we're out in dark areas, and it doesn't matter if we're alone or not or with a group, one hand has a flashlight. And so part of that is, okay, so if, you're, if one hand's going to have a flashlight, how do you draw? How do you shoot? Do you practice that? If not, start now. And same with little tiny gun. How do you access it? How do you shoot? Yeah. You know, I think this bears saying though, it's like if you know you're going to a bad area, well, you know, contemplate whether you should really be going to a bad area, right? I mean, but okay, you know, you got to drive through a bad area and whatnot, um, or you got to walk through a bad area and, and, you know, can you get some pepper spray or a flashlight or something to create like the reactionary gap where you can get to some other tool? You know, God, you know, it's it's interesting. I think where 
you know, for, for me, where a pocket gun kind of fits the bill, this is just personal experiences, you know, hey, man, going to the beach um, or, uh, or walking around like, you know, downtown late, you know, later on at night in a, in a quote unquote good area, you know, um, you're able to, to get a hand on it or something like that. Um, you know, that, that, that's something, I think there, there's something there. You still have to train to bring it up to bear or whatnot, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's not something that you're going to carry through in the bad area or the moderate area. It's something that you might actually have on you because you went out to dinner with your wife and, you know, and you, you don't want to be unarmed and, you know, you'd rather carry a little 22 or something. And, uh, ah, it's kind of dark in the parking garage. You know, I'm going to put my hand in, get the pepper spray ready and let's see what's going on. But anyway. So context, I think that that's just what I'm trying to bring up is it's important. Yeah. Well, by the rules that have been established, this is probably not going to be considered a mouse gun being this a shield. However, this shield and this blade tech holster, uh, I was at the beach a couple of weeks ago and I was carrying this t-shirt and, uh, and swimming trunks. Now we weren't going in the ocean, but I have, I have actually swum with this, with this pug before. If I know I'm going to be, uh, going in the water, I will, uh, I'll take a couple of Ziploc bags with me and I'll put it in a Ziploc bag. And Sharks. as long as you, as long as you get decent quality Ziploc bags, then you don't have to worry about, uh, where am I going to stash this thing? Just put it in a pocket that you know it's not going to come out of, you know. Like uh, like my my swim trunks have pockets that have zips on them, and they're for keys. You know, they're obviously designed to put you put your keys in there. That way, you can go swimming and you don't have to worry about where your keys are going. Well, this Water- is small enough. Waterproof fanny pack. That's, that's- there you go. Or or okay. Claude's notorious Chicago holster, the the McDonald's bag. <laughs> <laughs> Not a happy meal. I heard a story about someone purchasing a firearm and they were it was give, given to them in a happy meal container. Uh, well, and it's that, someone that, that you know. <laughs> that would not surprise me in the slightest. I thought it was genius. So we discussed some myths. We discussed um how to define it. We discussed a bit about ammo. What about your guys' favorite calibers for little tiny guns? Twenty two. Twenty-two. Why is that? Man, I mean, you know, it's especially out of a little bobcat. I, I like Berettas, right? Um, by the way, I should say, I think it's um, yeah, right. Um, having a double single gun is something I'm really used to. I shoot the full size, right, Beretta, anyway. But um, um, you know, there's no safety to contend with. I mean, you know, a little bobcat does have a safety, but you start hammer down, and it's just like. Managing any double single gun, and you've got a DASA gun or TDA or whatever you want to call it. But um, uh, that gun runs great with stuff like CCI mini mags. It runs great with CCI stingers. Um, that's cool. That that certainly works. Um, in revolvers, I still like 38s, but but that's just uh, I've got some 38 ammo, so I bought a 38. Yeah, so that, that sort of thing. If I were able to find a, a Bobcat local, I, I would have bought it already, but they had the Tomcat, which I've always wanted. But uh, it was funny. Ti- it was really funny timing. This past weekend, we went to my wife's grandmother's house, and we were talking about the guns that she had. And she's like, yeah, and I have this one little tiny one. And I saw it, and it's like, I've been looking for one of those. 
but I wasn't going to bring up, I'll buy it from you or anything like that. Cause she liked it too much, but it was just yeah. funny timing. Oh, Hey, we're, we just happen to be doing a podcast about basically that gun. Yeah, what was it? A Bobcat or it, it was a, the, yeah, the 22, the Bobcat, okay. not the Tomcat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there, I, it's, I want one. It's they're, they're cool, man. They're, they're neat. You know, you'll, you'll find they're just much smaller than the, uh, than the Tomcats. They're not as wide. And, yeah. um, they, yeah. they're different. Like they're, they're a lot lighter, but, um, and get uh, the threaded barrel for it too. And then put a can on it. Yeah. I was, I was just about to say, you need to call tornado tech. <laughs> get that, get that going. Uh, you know, now, now that I'm in Florida, that might be a reality. Um, you know, so, uh, I've got a ratty 21A that, that I carry, and it's like, uh, you know, if I, you know, it's a blued gun. I don't care if it rusts a little bit. Who gives shit? But, um, but yeah, now they have a stainless barrel, so whatever. I'll, I'll do it. I'm stupid like that. But, uh, uh, yeah, that, that'd be kind of cool to do. But, uh, um, yeah, you know, that, that's the big thing, you know, I, you know, other than a strong cup of coffee and a jet fire, you know, as a homage to Caleb Giddings, right? You know, I think there, there's kind of an edge up with like the Bobcats just because it is a double action gun. There's no safety to contend with. You don't have to actually cock the hammer and, and then do something. You don't have to perform any other action other than, I mean, it, it runs like you would a J frame. Get it out, start shooting, go from there. The only manual of arms difference is just the fact that you got to tip the barrel, drop the hammer, and then you can actually, you know, put it away. You know, most of the time, probably. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm going to run it empty. If you got to use it, God forbid. But. Yeah, I mean, um, hell, the mag only holds, what, seven rounds? Yeah, it's like six plus one, right? So seven rounds and all. But. Um, well, you brought up double single also with these little guys. I like the double action press on this way better than the single action. And it, I probably need to get some work done on it or something. But the double action press on this is, I like, for some reason, much more. It's uh, It's more smooth. Yeah, that, that's one of the big things too. I, I kind of I've carried a car PM9, you know, on and off for a long time. I, I posted that on IG today, and great gun. You know, that's one of the nice things about the cars. They've got that real long, smooth. You know, it feels like a double action, even though it's a strike fired gun. The strikers completely cocked. Right there, you go. Right, and uh, yeah, super long, super smooth, like a glass rod. Anyway, I don't even know what that means, but but. Uh, no one but, does. Uh, yeah. But, um, you know, I think that there, there's something to that, um, you know, a gun that you don't really need to fuss with very much. You can just point and shoot, right? Like that, you know, that, that's what we want to do. I think that's the only goofy thing with like the tip up barrel guns is that there is a, a difference in the manual of arms. You're not racking the gun to get around in. You're tipping up the barrel. And that's great for some, 
older people, honestly. Um, you know, my dad's getting up into, he's going to be 80 in March. And uh, so I'm looking to get him a Tomcat just because hey, he could probably do all right with that. Um, or a Bobcat. We'll see. I don't know. But, but yeah. I mean, you can, you can rack those things. Uh, such and, a pain. Like, I've done it, but it, God, good Lord, it's difficult. Yeah. Pull back the hammer first. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, so, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, along, along the lines of, of people who might have strength issues, uh, when you get into that kind of stuff, of course, smaller guns are harder to, harder to deal with from a recoil standpoint. But there's also, uh, you, meant, uh, you mentioned a LCR and 22 mag. Uh, there's, you know, there's various little guns. I mean, this, is, this H&R isn't made anymore. I just don't have any modern small revolvers. Uh, you know, you get seven to nine rounds in a revolver and 22 long rifle or 22 mag. And I mean, in, in that size of a package, if you can shoot it well, it's nothing to shake a stick at. I mean, you know, certainly beats harsh words. So that's, that's definitely another consideration. You could, you could go with a, with a revolver if you're more comfortable with it. Claude is secretly fondling his RG 22. <laughs> we can't see it because the video is off, but well, you know the sad thing to me is that that the RG has better sights than any J frame that you can buy. You're yeah. Right, right. That the you know, first time I saw one of those is like, oh god, this ghetto gun, and you know, like, man, that you know, <laughs> you know. But I, I I wanted to to say about calibers that I actually have to say I have a very strong fondness for the 32 just in general both in revolvers and autoloaders because but, of james bond uh, well yeah that's it do 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 it's like a brick through a plate glass window uh, yeah exactly a, a man stopper <laughs> yeah. but the the selection of them is so limited now and they're just hard to find and and one of the things i try to stay away from is recommending guns that are so esoteric that somebody has to go and you know shop on gun broker for a half a year or whatever to find one it's like well no so in 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 that sense i i have to say that i more now recommend 22s just because people can find them because 32s i mean you know you get the i'm very fond of the keltec p32 um, but I acknowledge that some of them work and some of them don't. I've had four of them, and three of them will work just fine, and one of them did not work. And one of the things that I feel pretty strongly about with small guns is if they don't work, like Hackathorn says, that's what gun shows are for. Just take it and sell it because you're probably not going to get it fixed by the factory adequately they either run or they don't so if it doesn't work just get rid of it and if you like the platform get another one you know the good thing about small guns is they tend to be pretty inexpensive so even if you take a 10 percent haircut on it when you sell it it's not really that big of a deal and then you just you know buy something try another one well if the second one doesn't work then probably you need to just experiment with a different platform because it might be you um you know i had an experience with that this weekend where there was a lady in a class i was teaching that she she was running a, a sig 239 and for her the gun shot six inches low at seven yards 
Now, she could shoot a good group with it, but it, it just shot six inches low. So I said, well, let me try it and see what happens. Well, for me, it shot right to the sights. But in her case, it just happened to shoot six inches low. And I think that people will encounter that same thing with small guns where, for whatever reason, the way they hold it, their hand shape or something like that, just because it worked for somebody else, it might not work for them. And if the platform doesn't work for you, well, then don't use it. Um, but, uh, you know, the thing is that I, I like a thirty-two a lot. And I have a friend of mine who helps out with a local sheriff's um, citizen's firearms day that they run every month. And a lot of times he has elderly ladies show up with their 38 J frames that they've been given by somebody who should know better, but doesn't. And they'll fire one, two, one or two shots. And then they'll just go, okay, that's it. And, and, you know, I've encountered that quite a bit. And then, so what he'll do is he'll say, well, let's try this. And he'll break out a three inch Smith and Wesson J frame steel in 32. And, They'll shoot an entire box of ammo through that and enjoy it. It's just the the thirty two, especially the thirty two Smith and Wesson Long, is a caliber that's really unfortunate that it's just been totally eclipsed. Because I really think that's a good gun for an awful lot of people if you could find a gun. The problem is you, you just can't find them. So that's why I don't talk about them that much anymore. Even though I really like it as a caliber, it's like well, you can go to a gun store and find a twenty two, but Trying to find a thirty-two. Yeah, good luck with that. Actually, other than other than Caltech and Beretta, who who both make thirty-twos, like who else makes a thirty-two? I mean, other than like Seacamp or NAA Guardian or whatever. Right. Uh, that's it. It's just it's it's just the thirty-two ACP has just become a very uncommon caliber, which is too bad. Uh, but it is what it is, and and I try to stick within the real world of what people because the average person. You know, the normal person is not going to go searching on gun broker or arms list or guns America or any of the websites to try and find a, some esoteric gun. It's like, it's got to be something that they can just go down to the gun shop and find, which is why I stopped talking about the Bobcat, even though I love that gun. And I think it's a great little gun, but trying to find them now, it's just, it's hard. You know, you, you alluded to that, Matt, that they're just hard to come by. So, I just don't even talk about them anymore. And on, I mean, hell, you can go to a gun show here in in Georgia and <laughs> find a Jimenez JA twenty two a lot easier than you can find a, a Bobcat. And you know, and the Jimenez and that whole Brico um, Jimenez you know family um, and Jennings. You know, I've owned, I've been owned and been shooting those guns since 1970 I, I probably owned a dozen of them and i've only had one that didn't run which, which i find comical how people talk about it that oh yeah it's an unreliable gun i mean i have one that i inherited from my dad that has ten thousand rounds through it ten thousand rounds i've been shooting it since i was a kid and it still runs fine now i had to replace the recoil spring on it because, you know, well, gee, no surprise on a gun like that. The recoil spring runs, you know, gets a little worn out after a while. Um, but the fact of the matter is if somebody wanted to go to a gun show and pick a gun up like that, it, is it a great gun? No. 
But if you put good ammunition in it, uh, it might serve the purpose and better, as we said, better than harsh words. So, you know, I, I think that the 22s right now have a lot to be said for them that we don't give them credit for in the community in general. You know, it's interesting, though. Um, sorry, I'm jumping in e- eager. Um, you know, I think this is a kind of a, I don't want to say a problem with the manufacturers. I think the manufacturers try and take the temperature of what the market wants. And I, I wonder how how much of a market there has been for, for some of these you know pocket guns, especially now that we've got things like open carry and concealed carry. It's a little more... Um, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if in a few years we see some more of the makers, you know, Beretta reissuing something like a Bobcat. You know, they they, they produce some unlimited runs. As far as I know, they've made a couple of um, runs of these Bobcats out in Gallatin um, in Tennessee and stuff like that. So that, that's kind of cool. Hopefully, hopefully some other manufacturers come up with something which is a little smaller, 22 autos or 32 autos and, and, and try and fit the bill there. Especially now with the popularity of something like, you know, the, was it, like the uh, Ruger LCP, these diminutive nines, you know, get, get so popular. But they're, they're still a weight issue. It's not, a, it's not really a pocket gun, right? I mean, you know, I mean, even an LC, LC9S or LC9 is still, you know, probably 16 ounces or more uh, fully loaded. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody's going to bring out something like the little, little 22 um, that'd be kind of cool. Gun manufacturers that are listening, you know. Yeah, well, the, uh, you've struck on something, though, Les, that gun manufacturers aren't listening. You know, in my conversations with them at the SHOT Show, they're just so out of touch, and that's so sad to me that they don't really understand the market at all. Uh, you know, Let's let's take Smith and Wesson, and we'll get away from pocket pistols just for a minute to talk about a good example of that. What's the Grail gun of Smith and Wesson revolvers right now? Anybody have any idea? It's the three-inch K frame. Oh, everybody talks about oh the three-inch K frame, great gun, blah blah blah. Does Smith and Wesson make a three-inch K frame? No. And I've talked to them at the SHOT Show, and the guy looked at me flat out, and he says, well, do you want to buy 500 and you can be the distributor? No, dude, but you could sell 5,000 of them easily, especially if you took the stupid lock off of it that nobody wants. You know, so uh, that's, it's sad to me that I don't, know, I don't know why that is, but the manufacturers, they kind of are in this if you will, for lack of a better term, they're sort of in their little ivory tower of what they think the market wants, but it's unclear to me that they do any research because if you went onto any the Smith & Wesson forum or any Facebook group about revolvers, it would just be immediately apparent that you could sell all the 3-inch K-frames that you could buy, that you could manufacture, but they just don't do it. And unless I, I hope you're right that somebody picks up on the fact that there's a market for smaller guns, but I'm not hopeful for that. I've got a strategy. You see, a few years ago, we were like, hey, Beretta, um, and guys at Beretta, uh, Matteo, Riccinatini, and, uh, and Eric Stern, I love you guys. I'm um, chatting with Stern right now, and the, the are bobcats, are, bobcats are currently in production. Tell them I'm making Italian hand signals right now. But, and they're uh, big. And, they're very big. 
Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's the same thing, you know, one, like the cool Beretta. Hey, don't just give us the 92 FS. Give us, like, G levers. And, and Eric has been awesome. And the, the guys at Beretta have truly listened to, to do that. And guys like Ernest are making the, uh, the Ernest Langdon lead. And, and guys like Bill Wilson made the, you know, the Beretta cool again and brought out the brick tacks and then the, uh, the scent tax and all this stuff, which is so cool for, for a Beretta junkie like me. It's like, wow, it's kind of the, 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 another heyday of stuff. I've got these old elites and elite twos that I can just leave in the safe and I can shoot the new guns, which is cool. Um, but you know, so what you need to do, Claude, is the next time you talk to Bill Wilson, just be like, Bill, look, you need to buy 500 of these <laughs> three inch K frames, market the hell out of them and call them the Wilson Smith and Wesson. You know that that's an idea. I, I'm and I'm making the Italian hand signs too because you've hit that nail on the head. You know, right? right. It, it, you know, some, something has to be done about it. You know, and, and I think this is this is where guys like Bill right can convince a manufacturer that hey, man, you know, we've got the marketing background and all this stuff to to really take and run with this. And um, and you know, I mean, I, I'm I'm being cheeky, honestly. I mean. You know, but but uh, but you know, hopefully somebody does something like that, and maybe that would be cool. But so when I uh, started talking to Walter, they reached out to me, and we talked, and kind of weighed, okay, how does this fit with our our goals with primary and secondary? Turns out it worked very well. Some of the things we talked about was, well, I want to have more experience with your firearms, and they said, okay, well, just tell us what you want, okay. I always wanted a PPK, but I'm going to hold off. Nope, we'll send that to you. They're just not being manufactured at the moment, and they're about to start. So I was under the impression maybe that's the case with the Bobcat. So I messaged Stern, or Stern, I said it the German way. I messaged Stern, and he said they are currently being made. It's just they can't keep up with uh, demand. But I will have that PPK. Everybody named Matt Lanfair wants one. Or two, because it's primary and secondary. If your primary bobcat goes down, then you need two of them. Dual wielding bobcats, big IG money in that. That's yeah, that's that's quality right there. I'll do it. Oh, I'll do it. Don't, yeah, don't don't threaten me with a good time. Okay, so we went over favorite caliber, except for Dave. Dave, favorite caliber. Oh, twenty two is definitely twenty two. Yeah. Yeah, because you take relatively little guns, you put cans on, it makes it much better. Is that a bodyguard? No, no it is not. It's a 2214. Oh, sweet. Yeah, That's I'm looking for a, uh, what is it, a Model 52, I want to say, which yeah. is even smaller than this. I'm going to get one of those. 61. Is it a 61? Sorry, yeah. 61. But I want one of those for this can. And what's the can? This one is, uh, it's an Armtech, Armtech, Armtech Covert. Now, is that the company out of Arkansas? Uh, Jeb Burnett's the owner. Yeah. Yep. I Jeb's a good oh, dude. Although, although a suppressed 52 would be pretty cool too, but kind of a different, uh, <laughs> different platform there. Yeah. I just, just having a brain fart. So we've co- gone over caliber. What about your guys' favorite, uh, model and i mean of firearm uh, oh, oh crop sorry um yeah still I, a classic 
Bobcat, right? LCR, I really like the LCR. I've, I've shot that a lot, especially doing the wizard drill. Um, hint, hint, Claude, elaborate on it. But um, that that's that's cool. Man, the J frames are, I've got big hands again, right? And they're, they're just tough to shoot for me. But uh, but the LCR, a little better than the J frame. Um, but I, I really like the little Bobcat. So I, I'm carrying a 43C. Uh, which is uh, the eight shot twenty two with the the excess standard dot sight, not the big dot, uh, because I can do a lot of really good work with it. Uh, it it's eight rounds. You know, I look at that. That's a sixty percent increase in capacity over a thirty eight. Um, I've got I don't know pushing fifteen hundred rounds through it. Uh, it's proved to be very durable. It's accurate. Uh, it was funny that actually it took a, about 200 rounds to break it in, I, which is unusual in a J-frame, but I had some extraction issues with it. But after about 200 rounds, they just went away, and the gun runs like a charm now. Um, and and it's pretty easy to do the wizard drill. And I'll <laughs> since I've been prompted twice for that, I'll, I'll bring it up now. So you do a an IDPA or a USPSA target and put a four inch circle on the head. Um, it's, it's a fixed time of two and a half seconds. Now that's a little bit of an issue for a lot of people. So uh, I go with just do it in three because you can have somebody behind you tap you, you know, three seconds and mark it on a watch. So start at three yards, draw and fire one hand, strong hand only, one shot at the head. Then it's at five yards, same thing, but you can use two hands. So now you're up to two shots. Then at seven yards, back up, and you're going to use two hands again, same thing. And lastly, at 10 yards, you draw and fire two body shots. And you really, you have to have all the shots on the silhouette. If you miss anything, you fail. And, um, if you, uh, drop two points off of the, the circles on the target, then you fail too. So that's, Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's the drill. Now, and, and I would say with that, let, let's talk about the standards issue, is that there's even a lot to be said for learning to do that at half distance. Keep the time, but learn to do it at half distance. And when you can smoke the drill 
at half distance, then do it the full distance. And I, I call that the half wizard. That I, I think that's a good place for people to start. But the bottom line is, if people could do that and just hit a piece of paper, I'll go back to my standard there, if they could just learn to do the drill and make the target just one piece of paper in the landscape mode and get all their shots on the piece of paper, they're probably going to be all right. You know, so uh, it sounds scalable then. So if, you, yeah, if you're able to, if you can get wizard, go back even further. Yeah, exactly. If you can do the half wizard, well, then once you can smoke that, then do a full wizard. Gee, what a concept. You know, it work up. A double wizard and a triple wizard. Yeah. Double mm-hmm. windy. So is the 43C about the same size as a 442 or 642? Yeah, it, it's the same, same platform. But for, for some reason, and I, I haven't gotten my micrometer out, but the, the notch for the rear sight is deeper than it is on the other guns. Hmm. And, and, and so the, the standard dot fits very well in the notch, and it's not nearly as hard to get a good sight alignment with that gun as it is with others. And I, and I recognize it, you know, that J-frames, the sights are not that good. Now, the thing about them is you can improve them a lot. And, um, you know, I've written articles about this that if you paint, uh, let's take the, the classic 642, which is probably the most common J-frame that you can find right now. So it's a, a steel gun with an anodized frame, and there's no contrast anywhere between the front sight, the rear sight, and the target. That's just kind of the way it works. So if you take the front sight and you paint the whole thing white, with and I, I go to Home Despot and I buy white appliance enamel because it's a metal paint, and I put a coat of that on the front sight. Then I'll take, in my case, I, I like Tester's model enamel, and I get the orange of that. And but you don't the, the mistake that people make is then they'll paint the whole front sight with that red color or green color or whatever. The problem with that is that our eyes have a tendency to. I call it round the notch. And if so, if you have the whole front sight painted, what they have, what I've observed with, when I was doing my snub classes was that people would bring then the whole front sight out of the notch, which makes the gun shoot high. But if you only paint it red about a third of the way down, then what you have is a red front sight, and then below that, you have a white front sight. And then you take the rear sight and put a, a black Sharpie on it and turn that black. So now you've got a lot of contrast going on between the front sight, the rear sight, and the target. Well, the advantage of having that strip of white, and, and there's a you know graduation there, but a third is about right. So if you have that strip of white below the red, it becomes very similar visually to the meatball that fighter pilots use to land an aircraft on an aircraft carrier. If the front sight is too high in the notch, you start seeing the white. So that means just bring it back down. And initially, when you start doing that, it takes a little while to learn to do that. But with dry practice, you can learn to do that very fast. And that's the way you achieve a good sight picture that you can then do fairly good work with. And, you know, the, the bottle of appliance enamel costs you $3. The 
the Sharpie costs you a buck and the model paint costs about $3 again. So for less than 10 bucks, you've really increased your ability to see the sites and do good work on the target. So that just a little tip for the listeners about how to get a lot more out of their gun. That's cool. And it appears that Nate has finally joined us. Finally, Nate, favorite mouse gun. Okay. Can you hear me? Mostly. Okay. Um, well, I'll just go with the only mouse gun that I own currently, which would be the uh, 442J frame. Yes. I carry it on my ankle. Uh, so Matt would know it well because me and Matt did some horse trading. So yeah. Matt's old 442 Smith. Which I still have another one. That's a good yeah, little gun. So I will, I will sit here and be quiet until I have something productive to say because I don't know what you've talked about. So carry on. Oh, yeah. Honestly, and I said this at about the 43-minute mark, I think this is going to be a lot of people's favorite episode, period. It's, it's really been good. I look forward to listening to it again tomorrow when I'm out patrolling. And typically, I don't listen to the podcast because I think the primary and secondary podcasts are dumb. So uh, get your kilt in the street. Yeah. It's all group. It's all group think, like math. It's, it's all group think. Uh, Dave, did we already pester you about your favorite your favorite uh, pocket pistol? Um, I would uh, I would have to say I'm I'm going to go with a brand, North American Arms, and that is cool. just due to how much how many how many hours of carry I have in them. Like in front of me here, let me dig them out. I, I don't like North American Arms revolvers at, at all. Here we go. Here's four that happen to be sitting on my desk. But um, so if there was a specific one, which would be your favorite? Uh, the pug. Cool. And that is because, like I said, I I actually have it set up, and it's not Kentucky windage when I shoot it. It's super small. And this pocket holds right here. I've carried it in a front pocket, a back pocket, or cargo pocket. Uh, a I pocket pocket. In, uh, yeah, I, I've stuck it in um, electric a hot pocket. Like hot that. Pocket. Yeah, pocket pocket. Pocket pocket. But there's also toilet this, pocket. Like this style of uh, just clip on holster that uh, that I've used with it as well a, a decent amount. And I I mean this gun's I don't know probably six seven years old and probably as a as a last resort pocket as tiny as possible gun. This, this particular one I've carried more than anything else I own. And I mean, really at, at this point I go this to something the size of a shield to a full size gun. And I don't really have too much in between. Hey Claude, you know, this kind of brings up, sorry to derail in a bit, but um, it brings up one of the questions. This is one of the reasons I've kind of stayed away from some of the North American arms pistols is just because they're single action. Um, you know, and I, it's just kind of far out of my wheelhouse and I just don't have much experience, but just looking at it on a paper. But I think one of the things that um, I think I contemplate if, I, if I'm carrying a 22 is, um, Hey, you know, you're, you're aiming for penetration somehow and uh, you know, more might be better. Uh, and so rapidity of, of the follow-up shots or, or cadence of the shooting um you know, I think that there's something to that. I, I don't know. Am I wrong in thinking that way? 
Um, or is there some validity to that? No, there, there definitely is. I mean, if you're, you know, if we're talking about little tiny bullets that aren't moving that fast, more is better. I mean, even with big bullets that expand more is better. I mean, I've got it. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Nate. No, I would, I would never dream of trying to talk over you. Go ahead and I'll talk when you're done. Okay. I I was going to say that, um, a number of years ago, I posted a, a question in a group of firearms instructors. I said, give me some example of where a private citizen has shot a criminal with a twenty-two and then been seriously injured or killed afterwards. And the answer was, for the most part, well, no, I don't. It, it's always some kind of tap dancing. Like, I don't have that information at my fingertips or blah, blah, blah. But somebody did put me on to one incident that took place in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And I was very fortunate because I contacted the chief of detectives and he put me on to the detective who investigated the case. And the case had been had gone to trial already and uh, been already been adjudicated. So the guy was pretty open about sharing the details with me. And what had happened was that some guys had come down from North Carolina to uh, get fresh and get some um, some weekend money, I guess. They robbed a convenience store at very early in the morning using a 380. And the clerk pulled out his 22 North American arms, and they got into a gunfight. It actually was a two-way deal. Uh, Got into a gunfight, and he was killed in the process. So it, it was unfortunate. So the way this incident had been reported to me was that the guy's gun had jammed, and he'd only been able to get one shot off. Well, what the detective told me that was not true was that, in in fact, the guy's gun had been perfectly functional when they found it. It was just that the exchange of gunfire was almost immediate. And after the guy took three 380s in the chest, oh, another mouse gun that, uh, you know, in the end, I had to say, well, two mouse guns canceled each other out. So this doesn't count as a, you know, as an example. But the, the unfortunate thing was that he was badly enough injured in the initial exchange of shots that he was unable to fire the gun a second time. So, you know, that, that was too bad. Now, what had happened, though, was that he nailed the guy right in the chest with his one shot, uh, which was a twenty-two long rifle, uh, and so they they got out of there. He was laying there dead, and they, they took off and it took like a bunch of change or something. I mean, it was stupid. They got back to North Carolina, and about three hours later, the guy who got shot said to his buddy, oh, I'm feeling really bad, man. Uh, Better take me to the hospital. You know, and then all those embarrassing questions from the police about, well, how did you get shot? And, you know, they ended up confessing to the murder. So in answer to your question, Les, that's the one. There's only two cases that I ever found where somebody or private citizen shot a criminal with a mouse gun and then was subsequently injured. And that was one of them. So, uh, you know, it, that's at this point is anecdotal. 
It, it's not something I can call data, but it, it is a case in point that if you were in that bad situation where the exchange of gunfire happens immediately at close range and you get pretty badly wounded, that need to have to cock the gun could be an issue. You know, it could be, because and I'll say could be because I have at least one case where it was. On the other hand, I also have several cases where the person just plugged the dude with one shot. In, in one case, it was a motel clerk who the guy was going to rape her as she was uh, laying out the, the breakfast in the morning. And she had gotten permission from her employer to carry the, one of those North American arms in her bra. And so when the guy says, take your clothes off, she says, okay, sure, and reaches into her bra pulls out her little gun and plugs a guy right in the chest and he dropped like a bag of potatoes right there was dead on the spot from one round. Um, and, wow. and, and she, she's like, she's like five foot two and he was described as six foot four, 250 pounds. And that one round of 22 long rifle and chest killed him on the spot dead as a hammer. So, um, I don't know. That that's all I can tell you about your question. So so there's outliers on both sides. I think, right. Exactly. But, exactly. You know, like I think this is this is what, you know, puts me off of some of the things like, you know, the jet fires an older design, you know, the twenty five, I mean, other than the caliber issue, but um, you know, it's just you know, and even some of the things like these little you, know, you have to do something to manipulate the gun in order to get into a condition where you can actually fire it. Like I would, I don't think I would ever carry that CZ Duo cocked and locked. I mean, it's just, it's kind of old steel. How much do you trust that safety? Uh, uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. You know, and so, some of these safeties are just also goofy, like on some of these really old like designs or whatever, you got to rotate it all the way forward. And, you know, like, uh, yeah, well, so, so about the, you know, talking about another set of 22s, the Jennings Brico Jimenez design. Well, the original safety of that was a slide forward thing, which actually, incidentally, is a sear blocking safety. So, you know, I, I'm fairly comfortable with it as a safety device. But in terms of what you're saying about manipulating it, it's kind of clumsy. Whereas when later on, when in the Brico and the Jimenez, it's now changed into an up and down safety that works you know, pretty much in the same way as a 1911 does and is a lot easier to manipulate. So, you know, and to your point, that idea of what do you have to do to get the gun running, and I think that is a consideration. And if people like us who are fairly experienced in using the pieces, if we have that level of uh, hesitation about it, what does that say for the person who is a casual user who might only shoot no more than, you know, with a little bit of luck, 50 rounds a year? Because let's face it, you know, a person who buys a gun and shoots 50 rounds a year is shooting it a lot more than most people is. So if they have a gun that's difficult to manipulate the safety on, yeah, that's kind of a problem. I, I agree with you completely about that. Yeah. So, uh, Dave, I had a, I guess this goes on 
pretty well with the manipulation side, but I had some questions about the NAA revolver, and this just kind of goes into manipulations in general. And I've shot several of those. I actually shot, Matt, I shot one of the matches here with one of the NAA revolvers one time. It didn't go well, but it was, but it was <laughs> but fun. It. But I did counts. it. And, and I was, I was re- what was that? I'm sure the ROs really loved you. He, he was the well, RO. I'm, no, I'm the uh, I'm the match director, so I can I can do what I want. I'm the dictator. It's his yeah, sexy body. He'll do what he wants. <laughs> you got the dick part right. <laughs> <laughs> so I was revisiting those uh, those pocket gun standards um, that was posted in the chat before the before the video call started, and it. There's some um, strings of fire shot one-handed. And so I just wondered, I've shot, I don't know, maybe a thousand rounds my whole life through any NAA revolver. But that being a single action gun, I just wondered if you practiced doing that single-handed and how that worked. Um, when I shot them, usually for quote-unquote speed, I would shoot it. I got an idea from the cowboy action shooters. Um, when they shoot... Well, when they they basically... Your dominant hand is holding the gun, and your non-dominant hand is working the hammer and the trigger in kind of like a rocking motion. And I found like that was that gave me honestly the best times and the best accuracy with that single hand or you know with those NAA guns. But that requires the use of two hands. And a lot of times, I think of as a bug gun as something that is almost a requirement that you're able to shoot it with only one hand, even more so than some of your more full-size guns. So I just wonder what your experience was with that compared to maybe a J-frame. It can be operated pretty easily one-handed until you have to reload it. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, something like this, uh, it's five shots and then drop it, you know, if you're going to fire yeah. five shots. I mean, there is no way you're going to reload this thing. No, no. And, and, I, and I'm, more, I'm more talking the actual shooting of those five rounds. I got you. Well, there's, I've practiced two different ways, one-handed, because the problem is you kind of have to go against how you train with anything else. Because if I grab this gun yeah. like this, I'm going to hurt my, hurt my hand because I'm wrapping it around the cylinder and the, and the side blast is going to, is going to burn me. So all the practice I've done with these has been one handed, either, either left or right handed. And there's, there's two, there's two ways that, uh, that I've fired it. Uh, the first way is actually, is actually holding the trigger down and pulling the hammer back. It's hard to do pointed up, but you, holding the trigger down, pulling the hammer back and just letting it go like that, essentially just fanning it. And then the other is cocking it and just dropping my thumb to the side and then, and then using the sights and, Oh God, I'm pointing a gun at the internet, except it's just my webcam. So, (laughs) but, uh, but I've practiced that, that both ways. And I consider this to be a one handed gun. I don't even try to shoot them two handed because I, I've actually found that, um, that if I try and hold it two handed, what it ends up doing is it ends up making it. So I have to release my, my support hand, whichever hand it, it might be to re grip the gun appropriately in order to, in order to cock it for another round, unless I'm holding it and I'm just, and I'm just fanning the, uh, 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You know, kind of doing what you were talking about with, with your support hand is actually manipulating the hammer and your primary hand is, is just holding, pointing the gun at the right spot. Dave, that's called a slip gun. When you're, when you're holding the trigger down and just running the, the hammer with your other, other hand, that's called a slip gun as opposed to fanning. Just for... Okay. Cowboy cool. action <laughs> realisticness here. I got you. I got you. Well, I appreciate oh. That's cool. I mean. You so, know, Dave, if you are really if Dave, if you are really talented, you can just hold the trigger down and fire one shot as you fan with each of your fingers. So I'm thinking that's the I'm thinking that's the best technique to use with that gun. Uh, you know, I, I will admit when a technique is beyond me, and that is light years <laughs> beyond me. That's like that's going plaid. They've gone plaid. <laughs> I, I know cowboy shooters, Nate, that can do that so fast, even when a center fire, that it sounds like an automatic weapon going off. And oh, I, I haven't done yeah. it that way, but it, it, it's amazing what some of those cowboy dudes can do with their guns. Yeah, so I was I was up the canyon, and the I think it's the the Utah State and a couple of the other surrounding states. One of the cowboy action champions lives about, I don't know, a mile away from my house. And I saw him at the range one time and we ended up shooting cowboy action guns for a bit. And I mean, all that, those videos you see the cowboy action guys on, on YouTube. I mean, it's real. I mean, that guy, it's insane how fast you can shoot those single action guns. Now, I mean, they're highly tuned, you know, the triggers are about eight ounces and whatever, but I mean, the, all the mechanical stuff's still going on. It's impressive. So here's my next question for you guys. Of these little pocket guns, which models have aged well for modern application? And I was inspired by the, by Les's post where he showed off a lot of cool Berettas. Yeah. As, and, and also, and Caleb had a recent video talking about a Beretta 1935. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome gun, right? Like. What is it? They they had thirty two and also three eighty nineteen thirty five, but I, I don't have one of those. But yet, but those are those are kind of cool stuff. They, they all look like full size Berettas too. That, you know, that, you know. But um, you know, this is the thing that, that I find really fascinating about it is uh, like that old CZ Duo. It does it shoots. It you know it shoots a twenty five. It, it works. Um, you know, a couple of little Colt like twenty fives and stuff like that, and, uh, and the Browning twenty fives, they actually still work. Like you can find them, you know, ones from oh god, like the early nineteen hundreds, and they they work. That the thirty two I posted, that thing, you know, runs like a sewing machine, man. I mean, there, there's not a lot there. Um, you know, they're blowback guns, but you know, the caliber is pretty small. And um, man, they. Again, I'm not sure I would trust like the CZ duo to carry a cocked and locked. Let's not kid ourselves in a way, but but at the same time, you know they they do work. Um, 
all those old Brettas work. You know, the 22 short certainly works. The, the Minx um, 25 works just fine. Um, so it, it, it's actually surprising how reliable and how, how well some of these blowback guns really age. Um, I remember talking to Bruce Gray once, and he was talking about uh, the most accurate gun that he had was this French 32 caliber World War One piece. Six hour. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. You know, hey, you're sponsored by Walther now, so none of that. But, uh, um, but the, the point was is that uh, like the most accurate gun he had or was this weird like French World War One design 32 caliber you know, service pistol and, you know, it's even a nameless thing. It's not like any manufacturer built it. It was just the French military complex or whatever. And, and Ian could tell us what we That's can true. call Ian. He'll tell us. Yeah. There, there you go. But, uh, yeah, but it was, it was pretty, pretty text. cool. Though. I mean, that, that thing still works and I don't think he's, you know, resprung it or anything. else. <laughs> but, you know, if somebody would make a baby Browning, in 22, I would buy a dozen of those. What uh, about 500? Well, then you can maybe. get the holsters and oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'd probably even be able to get extra magazines then. But because uh, then uh, they'd make uh, them. You know, yeah, if you talk about a design that has aged well, you know the baby Browning. You know, I, I'm not John Browning's biggest fan, as as people know, but that particular design uh, I really like, and it's, uh, you know, later American copy, the Bauer. I mean, those are nice little guns. Um, they have a, an easy-to-manipulate safety. Uh, I, I'd like it if the grip was just a little bit longer, but, you know, I have male hands. I, I've had some females shoot that, and they're like, whoa, this is a nice little gun. You know, un- unfortunately, once again, it's one of those things where if you can find one, it's five hundred dollars. So, and it's, and and if you can find one, so it's kind of like that was more of an interesting exercise to me. But that, in my mind, is a design that has aged really well. Like I say, if they made somebody made one in twenty two, yeah, I might try. I, I might try to arrange financing to buy five hundred of them because <laughs> I'm sure I could sell them. I, I'm in. I think my dad has does it in twenty five, but I think he has one. I think. How about this design right here? That's what I'm talking about. I mean, it's definitely by the standards that we kind of loosely define. It's definitely not a pocket gun. It weighs too heavy. darn much. Yeah, but um, you know, in thirty two or three eighty, they're about twenty three, twenty four ounces, which. You know, you got modern guns in 389 millimeter that are 10 ounces less. Or, you know, not, if we're just talking about semi-autos. Yeah, exactly. But aside from the fact that if I grip this like I do a modern gun, I get terrible slide bite. Um, this gun with a polymer frame that, you know, that, that weighs those 8, 10 ounces less would actually be pretty darn cool. And I mean, who, who doesn't want to be like James Bond? Yeah, all they'd have to do is put a tang on it, like the Bursa Thunder, right? Which, which solved a lot of the problems that the the PP had, and like you say, make it with a polymer frame. That'd be a pretty sweet piece. Yeah. 
What about a, uh, you know, a little baby browning with a, a polymer frame that sheets 22? There you I'd, go. Buy, I'd buy a thousand of those. <laughs> a thousand of them. This is my underwear gun. This is my sock gun. This is my pocket gun. This is my other pocket gun. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, hell, I'd buy a baby running in 22 with a, with a polymer frame weighed like eight, nine ounces. That would be awesome. Yeah. There you go. Car, if you're listening. <laughs> so any other guns that, that you can think of that have aged well? And then if not, go the opposite. Which ones haven't? The opposite would be the Beretta 418. James Bond's gun. His original 25. The the safety on it is just heinous. You know, to what you were alluding to, Les. That, I, you know, I've got one. It It's solely for the cool factor, but there's no way I'd ever carry that gun. I mean, even if I was satisfied with the caliber and so forth, it's just, it's a hard gun to manipulate. Um, so that's one that, in my mind, has not aged well. In, in general, I have to say that that's my uh, issue with almost all of the Italian guns, that they don't, um, they're hard to manipulate. They shoot well, they're very accurate, but if you try to put them into action quick, Eh, you know, not so much. Um, so. It looks like the, the panel don't have any any more suggestions for that part. Actually, I, I do have one question for, for Claude, just because he's our, our, our expert on some of these um, Brycos and Jennings. Like some of that Zamac stuff, how, how, is that, how is that held up? I know you've had one, one example that's gone, you know, thousands and thousands of rounds, but, um, but some on average is that in, in a rim fire, I think it's okay. Um, you know, I, I, I took a, um, what was it? A Davis 380. I bought it from a friend just to get it away from him and put him into a, a better gun. And that thing, what a piece of crap it, you know, it didn't, uh, it just doesn't hold up. It doesn't run well. So I think that, that that kind of pot metal stuff, as long as it's confined to rimfire, because that 10,000-round Jennings is not the only one of mine that has an awful lot of rounds through it. And they don't show anywhere in that regard at all. But from a standpoint of a, of a center fire, other than maybe a twenty-five, I just don't think that's the metal that you want to do. But... Once again, we get back to the average person, and and I think we lose sight of that sometimes in the industry of the fact that the average person, if we're lucky, they go out and shoot 50 rounds a year. So, uh, you know, we were talking about, uh, I've owned, I don't know, half a dozen charter arms under covers, and the service life of that gun is about 600 rounds in a good example. But the fact of the matter is, for most people, that's an entire generation's worth of use. So who cares? You know, it's just uh, we get wrapped up in these 10,000-round tests or even 2,000-round tests, and I just don't think that's a particularly valid testing point 
other than it's cool to know that. But, uh, you know, when I'm talking with people who come to me and say, hey, what kind of gun should I have? You know, if I have this, my sky, well, it, it, it broke the firing pin at 12,000 drive practice cycles. And I think it broke the ejector about 1,200 um, live rounds. So what? You know, that, that's more than anybody except some goof like me is ever going to shoot it. So who cares if, if that's what its service life is? And, and I think that we need to keep that in mind that service life as we perceive it is utterly irrelevant to 999 out of 1,000 people who buy guns. I think there's, you know, I, I, do, I do wonder sometimes, though, about the, the danger in just settling for the status quo, right? You know, the, um, you know, the old adage about, you know, think of the average person now realize that half of them are dumber than that, right? You know, that, that whole, whole thing, you know. But, uh, um, you know, I kind of wonder, though, it's like, you know, especially with these little mouse guns, it's like, man, they're, they're tougher to shoot. They're tougher to sight in, even with like a little twenty-two. They're, you know, the sights are minuscule on a lot of these guns, and um, the question is, is how can you how can you actually employ them effectively? Um, you're dealing with a lot of compromises, and I wonder if that's, you know, unfortunately, there's going to be plenty of people who never shoot fifty rounds, or you know, shoot a couple of rounds and say, okay, it's good enough, and there, there we go. But you know, man, people. People got to get out and train more and do do a little bit more, especially if they're going to contemplate this in any sort of like professional capacity, right? Like Matt, you know, what you're what you're angling towards with a department or, or anything like that as a backup gun. But but uh, um, you know, I, it, it kind of worries me sometimes. It's like, but yeah, that's just well, I, I think that's a valid point, but I think that we have to take responsibility in the industry for not recognizing people's resource constraints. And that's why I designed my Concealed Carry Skills and Drills ebook, which can be found at concealedcarryskillsanddrills.com, so that it, it's a series of 50 round practice sessions that the new gun owner or somebody who is maybe been, cause there's a lot of people that have had weapons carry licenses or whatever you want to call it in Georgia, we call a weapons carry license, but they don't really, they've never really practiced or shot. Maybe they shot a qual and, and barely passed it or something like that, but we don't really tell them how to get better. And I think one of the things that we've missed is the fact that, all of us here in this conversation have been mentored in some way into shooting, either through going through an academy or the army or, you know, we've been introduced by a relative or someone of that nature. And gun culture 2.0, what David Yamane calls gun culture 2.0, they don't have that background. And, and we're not telling them okay, look, here, just start with something easy. And here's a very simple drill. Here's a way to spend 50 rounds because guns are intimidating to people. Even when they want one, they're intimidating. They know it's a deadly weapon. You know, people are smart. 
They're not. Uh, yeah, maybe fifty percent of people don't have a hundred IQ, but they're still smart enough to know this is a deadly weapon, and a lot of them are intimidated by it. And if we give them some kind of a guided practice regimen where we go, look, all you have to do is go to the range this time for an hour and shoot 50 rounds. And here's exactly how you're going to shoot the 50 rounds. And at the end of that, you're probably going to find that you're better at the 50th round than you were at the first. That's all you have to do. Okay, so then just go home. Don't think you have to beat your brains out and spend a lot of time and buy a whole lot of ammo because, let's face it, talk is cheap, but ammo is not. So let's guide them along on this process in a way that's as close to doing it as we were introduced to it that they don't have that benefit of. And and so I I really think that we need to take some responsibility for that in understanding what people's limitations are and especially what the resource constraints are you know that yeah we don't mind buying a thousand rounds of ammo but not many people do so that's kind of my answer to that is that you know we've got to tell them how to learn to do the things that we expect them to be able to do and and not just think that this should occur to them by osmosis or because they've read a gun magazine or listened to us talking because when you're talking is not training, and that's one of the things we miss sight of. And, you so, know, th- I, I've, I'm really, really enjoying this, and everything you're saying, it just makes so much sense. And I know in the future someone's going to comment, well, Matt, this goes against everything with primary and secondary. It doesn't. Pick what suits you and train with it and figure out what works for you. We can't we can't tell you what's the, what the best is because – Ultimately, you have to figure that out for yourself. And uh, the, the words of wisdom that you're providing right now are just, these are awesome nuggets. So along those same lines, I don't know if you talked about this before I showed up as far as different calibers, but if we're talking about training value for the money, if someone's looking at getting a tiny gun like that and is trying to decide between you know, a, a center fire, you know, a, a 380, a 38 or something like that compared to an eight shot J frame 22 or another rim fire of some sort. I mean, is there, is there any value in saying for the cost of ammunition, it might be worthwhile for the casual shooter, the casual carrier like that to practice four five, six times the amount with a 22 gun and become that much more confident as opposed to buying, let's say, a thirty-eight revolver where most people buying it by the box of 50 is 20-something dollars most local gun shops as opposed to buying, you know, 500 rounds of twenty-two and getting that much more practice out of it. Um, and then, you know, maybe even advancing beyond that um, and getting another gun at another time. But like you said, it, when you're first starting out, I mean, is there validity in saying, you know, you get five times the trigger time by going with the 22. I, absolutely. I, I think that's totally valid. And we had this um, discussion on, on a Facebook group that I was in not too long ago about what should people consider for their first gun. And I said an M&P 22 compact. Yeah. You know, because it's, it's a simple gun to operate. Uh, they're very accurate. It's, the one that I have is just immensely reliable. I, I'm stunned at how well it runs. 
And like you say, you get 10 times the practice and, and it's not intimidating. It's just a lot less intimidating uh, to people than, um, you know, than center fires. And, and, and I, I'm going to go back to that intimidation factor that people just don't realize how hard that is. I, I, there was a, a girl I met, ended up going out with her, um, Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. At an NRA basic class that I was teaching. And she told me that sh- her hands were shaking so badly when we did the first one-shot exercise that she had to have somebody else load that one round of twenty-two in the magazine. That's how intimidated some people are by guns. And we need to do that. Uh, we need to be conscious of that. And doing a 22 is one way of getting past that and allowing people to get a more adequate amount of practice instead of, um, you know, the, the six or 50 rounds, depending on which um, industry survey you want to take as, you know, all they're ever going to do, much less actually do any regular practice. Yeah, and. And Claude, taking what you were talking about and taking it a step further, actually, the the gun I normally use is sitting in my cruiser right now. It's my it's my deer popping gun. But anyway, um, uh, full size M and P twenty two with a can on it. I have introduced uh, just a a bunch of new shooters with that combination, and um, you know, just reducing reducing the recoil and uh, and reducing the uh, the report of the gunshot, the sound of the gunshot, uh, is is a great way for introducing people, and um, and it's you know big and easy to shoot, which is the opposite of a mouse gun. But like you guys are talking about, if you can get more reps in, as long as you endeavor to ensure they are quality reps, does it does it matter that much if you're shooting a twenty two versus shooting something bigger? Not in the beginning, I don't think so. And and I think you've got a great idea there of of having an easy to shoot gun that's got a can on it. You know, I, I I would really like to see that whole suppressor thing go away, where we could just go and buy a suppressor on a on a four four seven three, because I really think that would make gun culture two point five take off. Uh, but I I think the approach that you have there is just a great way of doing it. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure all the, I don't know, probably 50-ish cans that are sitting in a safe in my shop right now waiting for stamps. I'm sure all those people would very much like for it to, you know, the stamp process to go away on cans. And then Nate's playing with his, yeah. I had to get in be part of the Cool Kids Club, so went and grabbed the, and grabbed the blaster. So last weekend I... Uh, Shot a bunch of random guns and stuff, specifically 22s, 32, 380, uh, 22 mags. And my my eight-year-old daughter was with me. And I asked her if she wanted to shoot, and she's like, yeah, sure. And so I said, and she was a bit sensitive to the noise, which was kind of new. 
even though she had ear pro and all that. And so I shot a 357 mag so she knew what it sounded like. And then the, the 22 mag and other stuff. And so I had her start with the 22 mag because I thought, oh, this will be fun. So she shot it. She was excited. She liked it. Um, then she shot, then she shot a 22 long, uh, just a pistol and liked it and really wanted to shoot that more and more and more. And that right there. Yeah. Next time we go shooting, we are bringing the 22 pistol and we're going to be working on that. And it was just a, a great experience for both of us, inexpensive, and she could shoot as much as she wanted, as long as she loaded the magazines herself. Okay. No, that, that, that I loaded them for her, but yeah. Wait until she uh, starts shooting the center fire and then takes up all your ammo, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I'd be okay with that. Yeah, that's when the Dillon 650 comes into play. You've mentioned that before. Okay, so then, in your guys' opinion, what does it take to become proficient with one of these little tiny guys compared to a full-size pistol? It depends on the standard of proficiency that you want to establish. Uh, I do not hold myself to the same level of proficiency with something like this as I do with full-size blaster. Just because it's not, it's not realistic. The gun operates differently. It's different ammunition, shorter sight radius. I mean, there's, there's a number, there's a number of excuses, you know, get good noob, all that crap. But, but, you know, realistically I can, I can draw and fire 18 rounds out of that probably in the time it would, it would take me to shoot four or five rounds out of this and I can do it with more speed, more accuracy. So, you know, you're definitely handicapping yourself with a smaller gun and, you know, same, same kind of thing, you know, with a, with, with a PBK or one of the little three eighties, uh, I say when you get into the when you get into the kind of the marginal guns uh like this uh like the CM9 you know the marginal guns where is it is it truly a pocket pistol or are you going to carry it differently when you get to that to this size and what you can do with a gun this size what you're limiting yourself with is the is really the magazine capacity as long as you're a proficient shooter so I would say something like this you should hold yourself to the same standards as you would a full size gun because if you compromise on your standards, you're, all you're doing is hurting yourself. When when you get into the guns that are really truly a compromise, you know uh, whether it's size, capacity, uh, or or you know all of the above, then you have to you have to be realistic about it. I think there's a progression that everybody starts somewhere, and. Uh, one of the things that, that I did was I looked at every concealed carry qualification course that's run by any state in the country, and then I ranked them. And, and that was how I started the progression in my ebook Indoor Range Practice Sessions, oddly enough, which is available at IndoorRangePracticeSessions.com. But to start out... I use the Michigan Safety Training Assessment Test. And that's it. And this was interesting because somebody actually thought this out pretty well. It's three sheets of paper in the landscape mode stacked 
which is 280 square inches. The FBI Q target is 275 square inches. So the Michigan assessment is five shots, no time limit, from a ready at four yards. You have to do that three times and make 100% of the five shots at least twice out of the three to pass. So that's a place to start. And then what I did was, and then I just started ranking progressively more difficult courses, some of which included shooting one-handed, some of which had uh, more distance, um, some of which required shooting from not a uh, not having a gun in the eye target line. And I think that's the way we need to look at not just smaller guns, but guns in general, of saying that, you know, we start somewhere, but it's a stair-step approach, that that's how we build our proficiency. Uh, it's not just to say, well, you, you need to be able to do this standard, like the wizard drill. The wizard drill is hard, and and it's not realistic for us to tell people, well, you need to be able to do the wizard drill with your North American arms, you know, as soon as you start shooting, or even practice at it, or even try it. No, how about just learn to hit three sheets of paper and then maybe two sheets of paper and then one sheet of paper and then start moving on to something that's more difficult than that. Um, then if, if you can do that with a with a small gun, then you can probably do it with a, a, a full-size gun. If that's, you know, if you choose to have both of them, which you might, you know, you might have a, a small gun for a concealed carry gun and a full-size gun for a home gun. Well, Develop your proficiency to a level with both of them and figure out where you're at. But most importantly, know where you're at at any time. Um, because in my categorization of negative outcomes, only one of the 11 categories relates to marksmanship. And that's uh, what I call downrange failures, where somebody actually, and this happens more often than people like to think, where you actually have to shoot past a loved one, not necessarily a hostage, but just they're in the way, and the person beyond them is a criminal who needs to be shot. Well, downrange failures are when you don't hit the criminal and you hit the family member or a loved one or an innocent party instead. So and I'm, I'm less concerned about having a very high standard of marksmanship as I am of having a very high standard of gun handling and judgment uh, in a situation. So, and, and even, and then within the marksmanship, I think we need to accept the fact that that's a stair-step approach. I think for people who are seasoned shooters, though, like, um, you know, so I think that's talking about like a progression for people who are getting into shooting in general, people who are very new at it. Um, I think for people who are seasoned shooters, I think, you know, challenging yourself and doing something like the wizard drill, which is, it's not easy to do. It, it's difficult to do. Um, it's difficult to make all the, you know, the, the time cuts and everything like that um, with pocket pistol. It's something that people need to challenge themselves with. If you're, if you're proficient with your Glock 19 or 17 and, and all that stuff, and you're contemplating you know, carrying a little, little pistol, there's challenges in getting it out. There's challenges in, in making effective hits and the marksmanship aspect of it. 
Um, I think there's a lot of other considerations as far as when to get employed. And I think that's something that we touched on earlier, but um, I, th- I think that's another standard and judgment too, that, that needs to be examined. You know, what, when are you going to be able to pull it out? Right. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely agree with you there for, for someone who is a seasoned shooter. Yeah. They should be really what they should be doing is working their regular drills that they're doing with their service pistol and, and see what, because I think what it will boil down to, as Carl Wren said, is there's a percentage of what you'll be able to do with that, with the small gun. And and that's an important piece to know. And I, I agree with you completely with that, unless that, you know, you should, you should know that, that, and not delude yourself to say, well, I know I can make, you know, whatever. I, I know I can easily make a 15-yard headshot with my Glock 17 or my Glock 34, but eh, can I do that with my J-frame or can I do it with uh, the Bobcat or whatever? Well, no, but I can probably do it at seven yards. I've proven that I can do that to myself 100% at seven yards. So, yeah, that's important that you know that. I, per- personally, um, I generally think that 25% over what what I'm capable of doing from an appendix draw or whatever, um, you know, the Gabe White standards or the Scott Jedlinski belt system standards or, you know, pick, pick your poison, right? That it's something that I want to be able to do. You know, so, I mean, we're not talking about elk price here, right? You, you're not going to reload a mouse gun. Come on, right? But, you know, a bill drill or a failure to stop or, or something like that to the head, through the body, that, that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, you should be able to do that you know, whatever your cut is for your appendix stuff should be able to add like a quarter. Um, you know, and I, I treat it like pass or fail. A lot of the, a lot of the shooting I do is pass or fail unless I'm really practicing USPSA stuff, which you're not using a mouse gun anyway. But uh, but for drills like bill drill, they kind of be all in the A or all in the basketball or whatever, right? Depending on whose target you're using, but should be able to do that and take like you know two and a quarter second. Slap on like you know a good quarter of that, like another half second. So, you know the wizard drill. I think what are the part times two two seven or something like that, two seven five ish or, or whatever. Two five, two two point five, and and Ken Ken then says he allows an additional four tenths uh, for the buzzer. Yeah, there there you go. So two two and uh, three quarters and too bad if you're contemplating doing like a a bill drill from the pocket, right? Yeah seven yards, you know, that's probably going to be one handed, you know, if I'm shooting a 22, it's, you know, so, um, that's, that's doable, right? That, that's, uh, that's something that you, know, you should be able to do. And that's a, that's a good rule of thumb and a quarter of that, uh, or excuse me, 25% to your performance. And that, that, you know, if you treat the hits as pass fail, then you're really looking at like what your time aspect is. Um, the interesting thing is, is with a larger, you know, you know, we're kind of drifting out of like what you would call like a pocket pistol, but something like a backup gun, like a car PM9 or, um, you know, a CW380. You know, you can you can shoot some of these things in um, uh, IDPA in like the bug category. That's uh, six round in the gun at any point in time. Or I forget all the rules, but uh, you know, my my performance point there is that I should be able to do whatever I'm able to do in a full size gun and just add 10% to that performance penalty. Right. So that, that's, that's the way I look at that. I've, I've gone out with that 
Carp PM9. I've shot plenty of IDPA matches as uh, as good training practice. Not drawing from from a pocket. Of course, there's there's some rules that you got to follow there. But you know, drawing from behind the hip, you know, concealment, just using a shirt and doing the hackathon rip type stuff. Uh, strong side hip, um, you know, and, and laying it down pretty pretty good. So it's it's fun. That, that that's a pretty good way to test yourself with you know, a slightly larger size pistol, right? So um, I think when you move into USPSA, it's just, it, it kind of borders on the absurd. You just piss off a lot of people because it takes forever to get through the state. So, so don't do it there, right? <laughs> Even though you're probably allowed to do it and do limited minor appendix and, you know, you know, you just look like a doofus when you got six rounds in the gun or seven rounds in the gun. It's just like, what the fuck is this guy doing? But, but, uh, but an IDPA really it kind of pans out pretty well right where the round count on most of the stages is a bridge to 18 anyway. So, um, you know, a couple, couple reloads from the pocket. It's, it's good practice. So that's, that's my yardstick at least. You know, I, I think we might've covered pretty much everything. Un- unless someone has something they want to add. Before we do final thoughts and plugs. Bond arms, derringers are terrible and you should not own one. Okay, there you go. I, I know that was brought up a lot, so perfect. Just to piss off the people in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll second that. You know, the uh, that, uh, it, that goes back to something that uh, you had mentioned earlier, Matt. Designs that have not aged well. Mm-hmm. The, Reming, the Remington Derringer design from the 1870s that has not aged well <laughs> at all. So yeah, I'm with you on that, David. Well, I think the, the worst marketing they could do for that gun is just simply let people shoot it. Yeah. Yeah. You have about, you have about what a 25 or 30 pound pull on the hammer just to pull the hammer back. And then the trigger oh. pulls even heavier. Oh yeah. And then once you get it to go off, then it's like, someone just hit my hand with a bat. What happened? Yeah. And it's fun. Not, I don't know if you talked about the the wall, the double actions on the small Walther guns. We talked a but little I, bit on the Berettas. I know, like the PPK, the PPKSs. We got a few of those in, and even the new, the new ones that Walther's coming out with. See, you're pulling the trigger like that, and the hammer's actually moving. The sample that I shot was about somewhere between like 18 and 20 pounds for the double action pole. It was awful. Well, this does this, this has a, I haven't replaced the springs in this one. This is my, this is my legacy gun that has a brand new spring in it. And I mean, it's, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't measured it, but it's probably every bit of 18 pounds. So should we go into final thoughts and plugs? <laughs> Mr. Pepperoni, what do you got? Yeah, man. Um, you know, I'll plug Beretta stuff, especially if they're making a run of the uh, the Bobcat. They are. Oh. Hey, a Tomcat. Yeah, pop, Tomcat, Bobcat. Um, don't buy a Minx. Don't carry a Minx or Jet Five. No, but uh, um, they're, they're cool guns. I think they, you know, Beretta's been making really cool mouse guns for a long time. Um, they're they are neat. Uh, I'd like to shoot them, you know, train with this stuff. Um, 
drawing from the pocket is not nearly as sexy as drawing from, you know, dropping off that USPSA rig. And, you know, you get a lot of laughs or whatever when you show up at the range and you're shooting little 22 or 32 and dudes are laying it down with an AR or whatever. But, hey, man, you know, if you can, if you can hit what you're aiming at, the sights on those little bobcats work. You know, they are very small, but they, they definitely do work. Um, Claude's recommendation to do the uh, the painting of those sites really helps, but uh, th- those are cool. Play around with it, man. It's like, you know, like the, the car pistols are cool. Uh, riders are kind of cool. You know, some of these little guns may or may not fit you, so I think they are got to get out there and, and test it out, rep it out a little bit, but um, yeah, so thank you, Beretta, if you're making Bobcats again. Uh, I'll, I'll be in line. Bill Wilson, if you're listening uh, and you want to do a run of three J frames or K frames, then, uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, that's, that's me. So yeah, where can people find you? What was that? Oh, where can revolvers are neat. They, they are right. <laughs> and this oh. SP one hundred one weighs like as much as a 1911. So yeah. <laughs> Les, where can people find you? Um, you know, yeah, good question. Uh, in Chicago, I'm kind of a hermit. Yeah, I'm in Chicago now. I'll be in Florida tomorrow. But uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I moved down to Florida, so I'll be shooting a lot more down there. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not like an industry guy. I don't have a training group. I don't have a gun shop or anything like that. I'm, you know, but I do shoot a ton. You know, find me on Pistol Forum. Find me on IG. I love to talk. Um, you know, I make a lot of bad jokes. I got to say, though, today's posts, those were some classy pictures. And yeah, I, I, seriously, they, they were very nice. Yeah. It's, it's um, you know, I'm just a dude that likes to shoot at the end of the day. That's why I got into shooting. I, originally, I was really worried about, you know, getting mugged or getting killed in the streets and, and stuff like that. But, uh, but I just I learned to love shooting. And I grew up in Chicago and didn't really grow up around guns so it's just it's fun to do go shoot uspsa go shoot idpa go shoot ppc even with targets wrong and claude will hate you but um um you know carry a mouse gun if that's what you want to do you know explore you know be cool right bill and ted so yeah so what's your uh what's your username on the gram i am less pepperoni less pepperoni with if one you, less. Uh, if you jump onto um, onto primary and secondary, then you will see. Uh, I think you reposted. Thank you very much for the repost, by the way. Um, then you will see less pepperoni on there. Give me a follow. Sometimes I post food pics or pics of Florida and, and you know weird stuff. Um, you know, there's a lot of other interests other than just guns too. So, but. cool, cool, Nate. Um. All I'd really like to say is, I mean, I agree 100% with holding yourself to a standard or standards when it comes to shooting the small guns. It's exactly the same. And I kind of almost look at it like the difference between shooting a rifle and practicing with a rifle versus practicing with a handgun. I mean, the handgun is more difficult to shoot and it's more difficult to be accurate with, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, It's going to be the same thing with these little pocket guns. Um, they're more difficult to shoot. They're more difficult to be accurate with. Um, if you take a real honest look at 
what your concealed carry situation is. If you're carrying that gun 90% of the time because you're limited due to wardrobe at work or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You just choose to carry a smaller gun because it's more convenient, which it is. Then also take an honest look at what you're doing with your training time and your training money. And don't allow yourself to say, oh, well, it's a pocket gun. Thus, I'm always going to be terrible with it. You know, hold yourself to a standard, continually try to improve with it. And, you know, for those that are serious about it, it's very satisfying. I mean, you know, you get something like a J-frame and or whatever it happens to be, and you can go out and make good shots at a distance that you didn't used to be able to, or you become, I mean, I honestly, I'll be totally serious. When I carry the J-frame, it's Yankee speed strips, and I got four rounds on each of them, and I just have some in the pocket or whatever. But guess what? It's really easy to practice with these at home. It costs zero dollars, zero cents. I mean, it costs time, obviously. Um, so just always keep trying to improve. That was Matt, the class who went, to uh with bill a couple weeks ago you know he's got a very good pretty scientific way to find where your performance is at a you know variety of different skills you know split times at certain size targets certain distances um certain skills at distances do that with the mouse guns you know track it practice it and it is satisfying when you get better and you brought up bill's class and i was going to use this also as an example uh know where you live Know what your performance is and improve off that. Don't compare yourself to people on the panel. Don't don't compare yourself to people on Instagram. Make your own standards and improve on that. Dave, amen. Well, I guess I guess if we want to talk about Instagram, yeah. Um, so if you want to follow me on Instagram, you're welcome to. I post kind of pictures of whatever I'm doing. My Instagram is dsim65. And uh, then also I have a business page. If you want to see pictures and videos of fun machine guns, DNA guns. And uh, follow both. My pictures are mostly are mostly boring if you don't like to see family, travel, occasionally gun pictures, that kind of stuff. You know, like Les was saying, we do like things other than guns. We just happen to talk about guns a lot. Um, and then, of course, uh, as far as uh, business stuff, like I said, DNA guns. If you enjoy shooting machine guns, have guns, we'll travel. We do events. We do training. We will we will blow cars up, shoot across valleys, things like that. It's all sorts of fun. And, of course, if you have any particular needs when it comes to having specialty parts made finishes done things like that uh we work on we work on people's transferables all the time it's fun i'll take i'll take your hundred thousand dollar machine gun and hit it with four dollar hammer because i know where to hit it so (laughs) but uh but yeah i don't uh i don't have a big fancy training business or anything like that we just uh we just do our our niche cool claude People can find my blog at tacticalprofessor.com. On Instagram, I'm tacticalprofessor. And if people are interested in either of my books, it's concealedcarryskillsanddrills.com and indoorrangepracticesessions.com. And and as far as wrapping it up, uh, I would just say that don't take for granted 
that you're as good as you are because my experience in that of you know been training for been doing training for over 20 years is people are very rarely as good as they think they are and in a lot of cases are a lot worse than what they think they are so to follow up on what Nate said have some kind of a standard and figure out where you are there and then try to get better at it you know that's uh, that's the reason I organize my books in that way to kind of do things in a progression that's a stair step so that's my thought about that cool i uh i'm afraid after after this couple hours we've been talking i think you're gonna have to come back sorry that's just the way it's gonna work out okay I, I, i'm <laughs> up for that and if you were to come back what would be some topics you'd want to discuss decision making oh that's that's my other big thing. In fact, my my blog subtitle is more than weapons manipulation. And I've come to realize just how important and neglected decision making is in our industry. I love it. Consider that okay. I I'm going to I'm going to uh, schedule that. I think that's a great idea. We've had a lot of uh, cool discussions about that. We talked we had a um cognitive load discussion yeah, I like it. So uh, I'm thinking probably December, January, but yeah, I'll, I'll get with you and, and we'll figure out when the when the best time is and who the who the best uh, panel would be for it. Okay, sounds good. Cool. Well, yeah, as I said, this will be the third time. I really suspect that this episode will be a fan favorite, a follower favorite, a member favorite, just a favorite. Uh, a lot of great information. And a lot of this information is also not just applicable to little tiny pocket pistols. Some of this stuff is also applicable to pretty much all pistols, all firearms. Um, yeah, know where you're at. Train. Um, if you have the right circumstances, you know what? These little tiny pistols can be perfect for what you're looking for. Um, big thank you to Facts on Firearms. If you go to factsonfirearms.com, you can find AR-15 parts, AR-15 barrels, pistol parts, Pistol barrels in various colors, like rainbow and black and silver, and I think even gold. And as I said at the beginning, I've been seeing a lot of representation of Faxon on on, uh, social media, and it's all real good. They're doing good stuff. So if you're looking at uh, doing a do-it-yourself type of rifle or replacing a pistol barrel, you might want to check there first. Um. Matter of fact, I think if you happen to be a Patreon subscriber, you might even have a discount. Um, also, a big thank you to Filster, who also, has, we have a discount for Patreon subscribers of $5 or more. Uh, John over at Filster, filsterholsters.com. Awesome guy. Very smart. Wonderful designer. It's cool to see the cogs working and see him, as we talk, see, see, see him figure out how to solve problems. Um, very insightful, really understands concealment. And so the products he makes are very thoughtful. They're not just copies of what everyone else is doing. He's basically, he's, he's a trailblazer. Matt, can I make a comment about Filster really quick? Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. So I think he made a run of these a while ago and may have kind of, kind of revamped the design. So they're not out yet, which is why I bought this holster right here and, 
I'll get to the filster later. But this is from Dark Stargazer um, for J-Frames. Very nice. But Filster is also coming out with a holster for J-Frames that I believe he calls the City Special. That is right. And it's got some pretty innovative features. Um, one of the features is I think he molds it. So here, I'm not going to shoot anybody on the internet here. But one of the features he has, I believe, is a way to situate the cylinder inside the holster. And it, you can't do it with this one, I don't think. But it allows you to actually sit that in the holster. So if you need to go to the reloading one-handed, you can just stuff it back in the holster with the cylinder open, which I think is kind of cool. So if you have a mouse gun that happens to be a J-frame, um, I think that should be coming out in the next, I think, couple weeks, maybe month. I don't know. But he's been posting pictures about it, and I will probably be buying one. Yeah, innovation. Good guy, good company. Uh, they do good stuff. Yeah, speaking of Filster, uh, another primary and secondary member was at my shop today and picked up a gun from another mod and uh, happened to have a Filster holster, and I put it on, and I was like, shit. Because the, the holster I have right now is really excellent, and I don't want to say whose holster it is because it's not a. I don't. I don't intend to speak negatively about that holster because it's great. However, I tried that one on, and I was like, "Better." Now I'm gonna have to go, you know, get uh, get a whole setup from them and and give it a go because I'd been thinking about it. Put it on, and I was like, "Well, there it is." Well, that, and then if you haven't messed with the flex yet, add the flex to it, and it's even better. Because then you yeah, have a carriage I, system, and it's nice. Yeah, I was thinking I needed to go, you know, just the, the, the pistol holster, uh, uh, a mag a mag pouch, and the flex. I, I figured if I'm going to do it, I might as well go whole hog. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're <laughs> pouches, and I have one right here. Their uh, mag pouches and utility pouches are really nice. I really like them. Talking about adequate beach holsters, yeah, man, that flex thing, that's cool. Yep, adds a, and for me, it adds a bit more comfort and uh, more stability for the holster itself. That's good support stuff. and comfort. <laughs> it's like a good pair of underwear for underwear guns, right? <laughs> yes, that's there. You go. Um, also, big thank you to Walther. I'm excited about this. This is neat. Um, we're going to have a podcast, I believe it's November 8th, talking with people from Walther, where they came from, where they're going, what sets them apart. Um, they're, let's see here, the Q series is especially interesting because that's their duty stuff. And I'm anxious to go and shoot that stuff, especially the newer varieties of it. Um, yeah, the optics ready stuff. Since it's primary and secondary, we do optics. That's the, that's the direction I'm headed. Uh, and that CCP looks really interesting. Finally, big thank you to our Patreon subscribers. If you go to patreon.com slash primary and secondary, you can help support the network. Essentially, what you do is you donate whatever whatever you want to donate monthly. If you happen to donate $5 monthly, you wind up getting access to all kinds of discounts. If you happen to donate within the top two tiers... You might wind up getting, oh, I don't have any next to me. You might wind up getting new swag when it's released. There's a couple hats that are just pending to, I'm about to start shipping them out for free for those top two tiers. So uh, big thanks to the Patreon subscribers. 
it's an awesome, awesome community. It's cool that the, the chat is constantly moving and just genuinely good guys. Dave's in there on a regular basis. Uh, a couple of the other mods, I, I can't say enough good about it. It's uh, it's a great resource. And it's just nice to discuss stuff. And there happens to be a law enforcement only section too, which is nice to talk to people. Let's yes, see we here. Discuss, we discuss many things. Yeah. Yeah. And also the higher you are in the, on Patreon, the more channels open up. There's like 563 channels, just like our Facebook groups, which we have like 30. And we do have a website at primaryandsecondary.com. There's a forum at primaryandsecondary.com slash forum. Um, also on that on that on that site we have let's see here we have swag we have all kinds of stuff we also have a calendar for uh, upcoming events next week uh, next Thursday eighteen hundred hours I don't remember what we were gonna do Dave do you remember is that gonna be the gun nerds machine guns and dream guns is is it that or is it uh is it an open mic night next week? I don't remember. I don't think I I don't think I had enough uh free nights for an open mic this month. Okay. I think it's well, I think it's if it's, if it's Dream the Guns. Gun Nerds machine gun episode, that means I need to plan my my week out so I can attend. Yeah. Well and uh Dugan Ashley's gonna be jumping on with us, which it's always nice to have him. Uh I believe Jordan. Who else did we have? We're also planning out a uh, 1911 episode in December. We have John Shrek McPhee in December. Let's see here. What else do we have? There's a Red October one hopefully coming. It's going to be on an odd day, and there's probably going to be two modcasts that week. Uh, Open mic. Yeah, the next open mic, I believe, is November 29th. We're going to be talking about our favorite gunplay in cinema, and that's going to be the rough thing. But it's still going to be an open mic, so it's going to be about anything. Uh, yeah, it's be about heat. Let's be honest. It's going to be about heat. Uh, October twenty fifth is the uh, Gun Nerds Silencers. No, it's not going to be Silencers. Silencers will be in a different episode. Machine Guns and Dream Designs. Uh, Belt Fed is coming up. So you want to be a cop is November fifteenth. Yeah, so, uh, Silencers will be November second. Walther Arms November eighth. Uh, Gun Nerds. Double action, single action thinking triggers, November 1st. We already did uh, grassroots. PWS is on the horizon. Aha. October 18th, modding pistols for maximum results. And also discussing police policies and things like that. That is what next week is going to be. You know what we totally didn't cover tonight? What? Holy crap. We didn't cover putting red dots on these pocket pistols. I have one on my 43. (laughs) Does that count? It's not a pocket pistol. It's over 14 ounces, bro. Yeah. But you can put put the red dot on your 42 because it's the same dovetail. Perfect. And it's bigger than the gun itself. Yeah, it's much bigger. I'm going to put an Aimpoint Pro. You know Jedi would be all over this, right? Aimpoint Pro will go on the 42. But make sure you get... Make sure you get the Knight's Armament 233 height mount for it so that you don't have to, you know, hold it up so high. Perfect. Shoot it from retention. Um, and then you can see your iron sights, your raised suppressor sights through the hole in the bottom. Perfect. Talk also, about modding guns for max. Oh, yeah. Enough. Oh, yeah. Right there. Um, some cool news that I haven't really been talking about much. Uh, added a couple new writers for the uh, website. 
they basically have, we have two new columnists. Uh, I won't say who they are yet. I'm excited for it though. Expect articles on the website on a regular basis. It's, uh, it's going to be cool. Both writers are known. Both are well-followed. I'm excited to uh, read what they have to say because, and they're just good guys. So, yeah, I think that's it. I don't think I have anything else to say. So next Thursday, 1800 hours modding guns. There's a slight possibility. Our schedule may wind up having to change because of my job. We'll see. But until then, I'll talk to you guys later.